Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Monday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this great program. Today I've got Brant Dontry and Tom Peavy with me. Good to be here on a Monday. I've not been here the last couple Mondays. Certainly appreciate Brooks and everybody for stepping in for me. And uh, spoiler alert, I might not be on the next couple of Mondays either, but uh, good to be with you all to start another week, a week in which the Auburn Tigers will get back to work as they prepare for a matchup in Death Valley this Saturday against LSU. And during the show today, we're going to play Hugh Freeze's comments from his press conference today. We'll react to those and start to preview the Auburn-LSU matchup. We'll also look behind us at these last couple days of college and pro football. We'll talk a lot about what we saw in the college and pro football football world some observations from again across the sec and across college football and then in the five o'clock hour today of course we'll have a sports call five at five presented by southeastern land group and also that's when we're going to focus a lot of our attention today on the atlanta braves as in the five o'clock hour shortly after five o'clock the Braves will get underway with Game 2 of the NLDS against the Philadelphia Phillies. Of course, if you want to listen to that action, it's always available on AM 1230 WAUD here in the Auburn area. And so uh, that will be where you can hear the live audio, but we'll take that opportunity to kind of discuss what went on in Game 1 and the changes in the lineup and now back to the original season lineup or most of the season lineup here for Game 2. And we'll discuss that game as it's taking place and also have a best and worst of the weekend. So the 5 o'clock hour will be a little bit different as we kind of react a little bit live and also look back on the first game of that Braves and Philly series as the National League Division Series gets the game two. Uh, today. So a lot to do and a lot to talk about on this Monday afternoon. If you want to talk with us, you can join us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. Again, excited to be here on this Monday because that's the one and only day Mr. Brant Dontry's on the show. <laughs> so I've not spoken with you on the show in a while, Brant. Obviously, we speak quite often around the office, but uh, good to see you here on the show again. Yeah, man. Glad to have you back. Uh, Brooks, I love Brooks, but there's something a little bit off about... Uh about when he's hosting the show and I'm <laughs> he's telling me how he feels about that. I'm only saying that because Brooks is in the lobby listening to <laughs> us. I love Brooks. But uh, yeah, man, great to be here. It was a great uh, weekend of football. Uh, a lot of great games were played on Saturday, probably the best week of the season so far. And it was nice because Auburn wasn't playing, so I didn't have to stress about whoever won. Um, I, I think we can start with Red River. That was probably the best game of the day. Incredible stuff from that one. And uh, the ending of Miami and Georgia Tech, also deserving <laughs> of a lot of attention. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to best and worst of the weekend towards the end of the show, and that's certainly going to make, make an appearance. Um, 
but yeah, uh, Sunday was great for the NFL. The only bad part of the weekend was the Atlanta Braves. You touched on them. We'll talk about them. They'll be they'll be beginning their game uh, in the final hour hour of our show here. But uh, just a just a bad day offensively from a team that's not used to seeing a lot of bad days. I mean, if you had told me that Spencer Strider was going to give up one earned run uh, and another run by an error, I, he it was his error, so he's at fault for the run. So I'm giving him two runs. If you tell me that Spencer Strider gave up two runs through seven innings, I'm taking that every day in a, in a playoff start, absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm taking that. I'm taking the Braves like okay. If all you can do through seven innings is two runs, the Braves are going to win that game. But they got shut out at home for the first time since like May 12th, I think, something like that. So just a just a weird day offensively. A lot's been made of the lineup. They're going back to the original lineup tonight. I don't hate screwing with the lineup there, but I also am not a major fan of it. I understand why it was done. I think if Snicker could go back and change anything, he he would go back to the original lineup and not try to change things around. Um, but I, I certainly understand the school of thought. But uh, a lot of sports over the weekend, uh, even if Auburn did not participate in football, uh, Auburn did participate in softball, volleyball, soccer, um, and equestrian had a meet this weekend, I think, as well. And Auburn won all of those. So uh, Auburn did go undefeated on the weekend, even though football did not uh, participate. Tom Peavy also on Hello. the show this Monday. How was your weekend? Busy. <laughs> that was about it. Um, so, yeah, Friday Friday worked, but then Saturday was all day at the Serps Op Festival in Lochapoca, which uh, great turnout out in Lochapoca and a beautiful, beautiful day. I mean, you could not have asked for better weather for an outdoor festival like that. So uh, that's where my day was. And then uh, so I missed being able to see early games. And then by the time I got home, I was so tired. I just I slept. So I saw a little bit of the beginning of Georgia, Kentucky, and then was out. Uh, we were watching Bama and A&M. Uh, inside the uh, the barn, the pole barn that we were selling syrup. So we were watching that game and following along on the radio. But I was very limited on what I was able to uh, take in as far as football goes this weekend. But still some takeaways from just everything that I saw. But, I mean, it's pretty much everything Brent just covered. We'll dive more into it. Just absolutely dumbest move you could ever imagine by uh, Mario Cristobal uh, at the end of that Miami-Georgia Tech game. Uh a&M Alabama I, I I tried to tell people that Alabama was not going anywhere and they are far from perfect they are not the juggernaut Alabama that we have seen and not the juggernaut that I think a lot of people thought that might have been this year they've still got a lot of issues there but they're coming and they're they're starting to piece things together and to be able to go into college station and get a win in the environment that was there uh, and to overcome all the mistakes that they had uh, to be able to overcome that and still get a win. I, I'm telling you there, uh, people wrote them off and I was, I was told, I tried to caution people to not write them off that they are better than that. And so uh, you got that Georgia absolutely dominated Kentucky, which you had to think Georgia was going to win that game, but maybe not quite in that fashion, putting 51 points up and just absolutely demolishing a Kentucky team that has been playing pretty good football. Uh, that one surprised me. Uh, Texas-Oklahoma didn't get to see an absolute snap of it, but I uh, did see the end of the game on the highlights. And, you know, what an incredible game for it to come down to what it, where it was. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of that. I'm very disappointed with the Braves uh, in their game one. It's not 
not the way you want to start off your postseason run with a loss. And it's something that we talked about here is how dangerous Philadelphia could be. Granted, they only scored three runs, but it's just one of those – I don't know. It feels uncomfortable when you're playing a team like the Phillies as opposed to where it could have been the Marlins. It was already a very, very uneasy feeling. And then they come out and shut out the Braves in game one. It's like, oh, boy, here we go. So, yeah, a lot of stuff to talk about. Very, very, very happy with uh, Auburn smaller sports. Um, volleyball with a huge, huge win over Florida, who what, ranked third yep. in the country. Yep. Um, th- this is a – for people that don't realize, like this is a volleyball program that is like basically been just completely non-existent for as long as I can remember. I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of people that don't even realize that Auburn has a women's volleyball team. They have just been that completely irrelevant. And they have really started making some strides uh, last year and now this year. Uh, have been ranked for the first time in the top 25. They almost beat Florida here. And then they turn around and just beat Florida in straight sets in Gainesville, which is just unbelievable that Auburn volleyball program has gotten to that level. And then they turn around and had another win over South Carolina, which was very tough. So big time uh, stuff there. And then uh, Auburn soccer team gets a win over a ranked Arkansas team. So the smaller sports doing some good things while the football team was off. A lot more to talk about. A lot of phone calls. Let's get on it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Brent Crouch's program for Auburn volleyball achieving a lot of firsts this year. I believe that was the first time they'd ever beaten Florida at Florida. That is true. On right. top of the fact that earlier this year, this is the first time Auburn's ever been ranked in the top 25. And, of course, yep. that's only strengthening that's continued for the last several weeks. And you're right, on the heels of that triumphant victory against Florida, which I think was in three or four sets. It was, it was not a, even five-setter. It was, it was a, a, a sweep. Yeah. Uh, they got down two sets to one against South Carolina yesterday and then came back and won that one. So uh, volleyball has been tremendous. And then equestrian continues their high standard of excellence. And then um, you know, women's soccer had the biggest one of the their season, beat number six Arkansas yesterday uh, a game that you called brant uh, i did i did i was uh, over there for weagle uh, yep. 91.1 fm and uh first time i've ever done play-by-play for a soccer game and it is i i expected volley because it my first broadcast for weagle was the volleyball game against Ole miss i expected volleyball to be harder because i just understand soccer a little bit better than i do volleyball i've spent more time around it but calling soccer is incredibly tough i and i i Expected it to be difficult, but it was a lot tougher than I thought it was. But uh, it had a really fun call. Myself and uh, Zach Card was my color commentator, and uh, he and he and I kind of played off each other pretty well, I think. And you know, it, it was a fun game to call too, because I mean, Auburn beat the number six team in the country. That's a big deal. That's Arkansas's first SEC loss. That's their first loss in nine games. Uh, they had they had been five and zero in the SEC up until that game, but Auburn. Uh, defending home field and coach hoppa talked to me about it before the game how important defending your home field advantage is and uh, auburn certainly took advantage of it last night another sporting event that i want to mention that we haven't even talked well i mean we wouldn't talk about it normally but auburn up like a high school football game yes yeah wow yeah 31 30 yeah auburn auburn scores a touchdown you know yeah in the last minute or so to beat opelika and i mean for anybody that may not be from this area. Auburn-Opelika rivalry is huge 
I mean, that is... It's, it's the rivalry in the is, area. It is. That is like the Iron Bowl of high school football between Auburn and Opelika. Those two teams do not like each other. Huge, huge rivalry at Opelika. Packed house on both sides. An incredible atmosphere. And now Auburn's able to pull it out with a with a last-minute drive of... Uh, touchdown pass to the they kind of rolled to the right and turned through back I believe it was from fourth and goal too i, I think it was boxes, i think yeah. it was fourth and goal rolled to the right and throw back across the field to a guy with some blockers and he just barely gets into the end zone and auburn wins the the big rivalry game around here so congratulations to the auburn high school tigers sure taking down opelika and of course that game now the opelika is in 7a same region that's a region of death because obviously it contains central phoenix city it contains uh, the Montgomery schools, but Dothan, uh, Prattville, Enterprise, uh, obviously our uh, our Smith Station Panthers that yep. we were proud to cover on FM Talk ninety three point nine. I mean that is a, a heavy region there, and uh, so obviously Auburn Opelika has always meant a lot. And uh, but but adding the fact that you could be determined to either make or not make the playoffs based off of it now gives an even more of a sour taste and I, I i'm not familiar with the entirety of the standings but i do know that that was a very relevant game in determining some of that seating there so uh that was certainly a big one in the area our Borgard hornets here on on tiger 95.9 had a come from behind victory which pretty much guarantees their playoff spot uh as they came from behind on silicaga two-point conversion for the win uh, went for it didn't go for the tie went for the win and got it so uh, a lot of dramatic high school football here this past weekend and uh, certainly been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, let's get into it, though, with the college football uh, rankings, guys. And uh, I think, Brent, you let off with it there. The Red River rivalry between Oklahoma and Texas, that's the last time that will be a Big 12 game that will become an SEC game next year and it had all the dramatics it had a very drunken first quarter yeah yeah with a lot of odd plays what an opening uh then then got a little bit more shootout oriented there as the game progressed yeah last minute scores and uh good offensive play and and that sort of thing uh i mean kind of a talk a little bit about this game in particular and then B, just what it means for the playoff situation. What do you think of, of these two programs right now? Well, to me, I go, I can't wait to watch these two teams play one next year when they're under the SEC banner, and that's it matters to the conference that we pay attention to the most. But the other thing is, those two teams, they can play again this year. Yes. They, they are, and I think they probably will. The, yeah. Those two can meet in the Big 12 championship game. And I think that's very likely to happen based on what we've seen. And if it does, I mean, that's just I'm I'm counting down to days to part two of that thing because it's just just an incredible game. I think it means a lot to the legacy of Dylan Gabriel, a quarterback that I've always felt was kind of good, not great. Not there's anything wrong with that. There's a very small number of great college quarterbacks. I always thought he was just good, but he played great on Saturday and. I think was the reason that they won that game. Had over 300 yards of offense, rushed for over 100, threw for over 200, was responsible for not all of their touchdowns, but I mean, it, a, a good three touchdowns, you think? Okay, that, that sounds right. But just an incredible game from him and an awful game from Quinn Ewers. Not awful, but certainly a, a mistake-laden game from Quinn Ewers. Turned the ball over two times, three times. Uh, one of them may have been tipped, not his fault. But still, just a, a weird game from a Texas team that – Against Alabama, looks like they could score on anybody. And then against Oklahoma, just looked like their defense was 
it, just a little bit too much for him. And a weird, weird game, like you said, a very drunk first quarter, um, blacked out at noon. It was just, <laughs> a, just a wild ride and such a fun game to watch. And I, I was just, it was one of those where you go, man, it's a shame that someone has to lose this game, but it's important that someone does because it means so much for the future of the rivalry this year. Uh, there's there's national implications because right now, I mean, if Texas, the only way Texas is getting into the playoffs is if they avenge that loss, right? Yeah, you, you I mean, would have they'll to have to go 12-1. Yeah, yeah. They can't lose again. Yeah, and they'll have to beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, or Oklahoma can not make it, and then Texas still wins the Big 12. But either way, just a, a weird game that sets up a lot of possibilities. Well, and it's, a, it's an exciting proposition for the Big 12 if you remove the fact that these two teams will be leaving them after this year because this was the best outcome to try to keep both of these teams alive here because it would have been harder with Oklahoma ranked 11th getting a loss to then be guaranteed no matter what the other conferences do uh they would get in if they then avenge the texas loss but i think both these teams still kind of control their destiny because of what texas did in the non-conference which was go to alabama and win and i think that obviously an undefeated oklahoma would be going but i think a one loss texas would still go because if they avenge that loss and they've got what is going to be a really good alabama win uh, on the road, you know, by by ten, and not 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 feeling fluky. Importantly, too, not feeling like oh, it was just a doink here or a doink there. You know, it was it was steady enough that I, I think that both teams still kind of control their own destiny uh, in a way. You know, you could get into well, what if Georgia's undefeated? What if there's undefeated Big Ten? What if Florida State stays undefeated? What if a Pac-12 team's undefeated? Then you have a, a, a hodgepodge of mess. But I'm also going to, for the sake of college football, tell you that that's not how it's going to play out. Where you're going to have an undefeated team represented from all five conferences because that's not happened uh, in this playoff era. And it, and some way college football will find a way to not do that. Uh, <laughs> but but but. I still think both those teams are in great shape. You're right about Ewers. You know, he on the sur- if you looked at one stat, you'd say he was awesome. If you looked at another, you'd say he was awful because he has three turnovers in the game, right? And that you can't have that in a big game like that. But he was also 31 of 37 for 346. Yeah. So it's like it pretty much was either a successful play or a big mistake, uh, which was the which was a difference there. I know from the very get go he had one of those mistakes with the interception on the slant where he just kind of stared at it and then threw it anyway. It's like, oh no, it did get he, picked. It, he was trying so hard to not throw that, and his like his body just made him do it anyway. Yeah, it was so yeah. such a weird, weird mistake for him to make. Uh, but you're right about Dylan Gabriel too, because he'd always been a guy that. You know, he was on the UCF team after the the, the Peach Bowl team. Mm-hmm. So he was on good UCF teams, um, but not the UCF team. And then at Oklahoma last year, obviously they went 6-6. Six six. And, and so you're not going to get much credit at the quarterback position for a 6-6 six six Oklahoma team. Yeah. Uh, and he was banged up some too. But, but the point being, I mean, that was the worst Oklahoma team in 20-plus years. And I went into that game thinking, and all of us got it wrong in the office, because we picked basically the same stuff all weekend long, <laughs> except Brant had two aversions. One was successful, one was not. Uh, and if you're ever looking for those picks, by the way, we do put those picks on our, our, our website, uh, Sports Call Auburn, and then also Tiger or the Tiger.fm, but the Sports Call tab and Tiger 95 point tab, we kind of divvy those up. But uh, Dylan Gabriel 
finally has the drive and the moment of a big program and against the biggest team you could have uh, in that conference. And the, again, the good news for Texas is, is that I do think this will happen again because I would have thought Kansas State would be the biggest barrier that, well, they lost to Oklahoma State the other night. So maybe we're reevaluating Oklahoma or excuse me, Kansas State this year. Uh, because they had been a reliable program last two to three years, but not looking that way so far this year. And I'm sorry, but with all due respect to West Virginia, I don't buy that's going to last all right. year. They're the other undefeated team in that league right now. You know, nice storylines with Kansas and Iowa State starting okay, but again, the longevity of their seasons, I just I'm not going to buy. There's still going to be a team or two to knock them off. So uh, there's a really really good pathway for that game to happen again. I think Oklahoma moved up to number five. Texas is still at number nine so uh that that was a, a a lot of fun to watch for sure um and again that i know that we're going to lament the fact that some rivalries will be lost here once the sec expands again and and we try to figure out what in the heck we're going to do with the scheduling model uh but it will be really nice to incorporate that big rivalry because they have a lot of close games that that 49 nothing game last year which again i just i alluded to a moment ago i didn't finish my my my, uh, brain wave on that (laughs) i on the friday show i was saying that i just couldn't fathom a 50 point turnaround and i know that some things went in that gabriel didn't play in that game and all that but to become 50 points better in a game in one year, uh, the vast improvement Oklahoma, and nothing to take away from Texas because I still think they're a little better than last year too now that yours is, is constantly healthy. But th- that's going to be an awesome rivalry to to join into the league next year. Tom, any quick thoughts on Oklahoma and Texas before we go to our first I, break here? I, I mean, my only thought is I, I was surprised by the outcome of that. I, I'm not surprised that it was a close game. Um but I think that that one, you know, the big one last year was kind of an outlier. I mean, it's normally, you know, pretty close kind of up for grabs. But I, I just was not sold on Oklahoma. I, I really thought Texas would be able to handle that one. So to, to see that final outcome of that one was pretty darn shocking. Uh, there, there were some other shocking wins. I mean, so it wasn't just like massive upset, just earth shattering, but I was still very surprised because I, I just I thought Texas was gonna win that one. Yeah, no, again, I I, I certainly respected the uh the improvement Oklahoma had, but again, I, I just kept getting hung up on that. I was just like, there's no way they make up half a hundred in yeah. one season on a Texas team that is better than last season. Because sometimes we get we get kind of too focused on one part of the equation like oh this team did this last year and we're, and we're supposed to be better so we should do at least that again this year well you forget the fact the other team changes too and their circumstances change too uh but but still i i i'm kind of a, a floored and, and a good for oklahoma but also bad for those because i remember talking this offseason where everyone that's got oklahoma including auburn Next year's like, oh, you know, you might get the yeah, one they're of the down. Most down Oklahoma's of all time and right back to number five in the country uh, one year later. So yep. that is the state there of play uh, with Oklahoma as they get ready to join the SEC. We're going to take our first time out of the show. We'll look at some other college football games from the weekend in the SEC and across the country when we come back. And of course, if you want to give us a call today on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334 887 3401 locally or toll free. One triple eight nine Tiger Nine Sports Call returns in a moment.
Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Daughtry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon. A beautiful, very fall-like Monday. Mid-70s today. It's nice. A little warmer tomorrow. And then a little rainy the rest of the week. And I don't spy any more 80s beside tomorrow for a while. So, mm. there you go. We're getting mm. to official fall. Getting very close. Speaking of fall, of course, fall football is really one of if not the best time of year and we were just talking a little oklahoma texas on the other side of that break want to get into some other games now and let's look at some of these sec games because that really was where the majority of the big games happened this weekend aside from an absolute brain malfunction in coral gables uh so let's start with some lsu missouri because that's who Auburn will have next. And again, we'll play the Hugh Freeze presser audio here at some point in the four o'clock hour. Let you hear what Freeze had to say about uh, the upcoming LSU game. But I think that we should start with the, the obvious stuff, just as generalities with LSU not even based off just the Missouri game alone. Jane Daniels is really good. He's the best quarterback in the SEC. The offense in general is really good. They have some really good receivers. The defense is really bad, mm-hmm. and despite talent, that should be much better than what they're playing like. Uh, gobs and gobs and gobs of yards and points being allowed by LSU's defense. And, again, that was much the same on Saturday with that LSU-Missouri game. Yeah, Brady Brady Cook for uh, Missouri throws for 395 yards, a pair of touchdowns. They had a running back, Cody Schrader, go for 114 and three touchdowns. And then had a receiver, Luther Burden, go uh, for 11 catches, 149. So, yeah. Um, and you can look it through the air. I mean, there's a 149, 80, 80, 42. I mean, Missouri was putting the yards up on them. So, LSU has definitely, definitely got some issues uh, on defense. Now, how is that going to translate – into the Auburn game, I don't know because Auburn's offense is pretty darn terrible. Um, defensive wise, and you know, I, I'm sorry, offensive wise, that LSU, I, they were kind of for the first part of that game. It was just kind of they were doing what they could. Then they put 22 on the board in the fourth quarter to to really stretch that thing out. So, uh, you know, the the offense is good, defense is bad. I. Yeah, I don't think that's really a necessarily a good matchup for Auburn. Yeah, it's so weird how LSU's defense seems to have gotten significantly worse than it was last year. Uh, and look, Jaden Daniels, I mean, Hugh Freeze said in his press conference, if he's not in contention for the Heisman, then something's wrong. I don't know if I'd go that far, but he's a darn good quarterback, and he played really well, and he has this weird habit of putting himself in a position to take the hardest hit imaginable. But other than that... Uh, he's a really good quarterback, 15 and 21 for 259 yards uh, and three touchdowns. That's that's winning football. Um, and and this is a 
good LSU offense. It's just their defense is so, so bad. If there is a game where Auburn's offense can kind of put things together and show that it can compete with good teams or at least put up points, this is a good defense to do it against. You hope. Um, looking on LSU's offensive side, you mentioned Jaden Daniels, but also they had two running backs go for over 130 yeah. yards. Well, one one of those one of those runners is Jaden Daniels. Oh, well, uh, true. Yeah, so, so Jaden Daniels, 15 carries, 130 yards and a yeah. touchdown, uh, in, in addition to 259 yeah. yards passing and three more scores. So, uh, quick math, that is over 380 yards for yep. four scores. He's a really good player. Yeah, he, he, he is going to be a problem for Auburn's defense. Which they have done fine. Auburn's defense has done perfectly fine, um, but I mean, anytime you go up against a, a quarterback that you know has that threat to run and that threat to pass, that really uh, puts you on your heels on what you're able to do or what you want to do. Because obviously, you can't sell out for one because you'll get burned with the other. Yeah, no, Daniels in in my estimation again, like I said, to me, best quarterback in the SEC, not particularly close. I think his team having two losses dictates that he's not a Heisman front runner, but statistically he absolutely would be. Um, their lowest output as an offense was against Florida State. They had 24 points. That's also the game they had like two or three blown red zone opportunities set for the same price. It could have been in the 30s, but every other game, Grambling, who cares, but still 72. Mississippi State, 41. 34 against Arkansas, 49 and a loss to Ole Miss, and then 49 and a win to Missouri so 49 their last two SEC games you know I, I think that Auburn's defense is better than Missouri's and Ole Miss's however it, it is still it, it is going to be a matter of can you force LSU into red zone blunders the way Florida State did to open the season because otherwise LSU's in the 30s period and I'm not sure that Auburn can get there uh, even against LSU's bad defense. Now, I think that Auburn will run the ball incredibly well against LSU, but I also think that LSU is equally, if not even worse, in pass defense, whereas at this point, I just don't know how you could say Auburn's going to be able to take full advantage of that, and for a multitude of reasons. I mean, uh, they, they're still going to be an opportunity for LSU to have a couple sacks. Uh, you know, they're still, they still have a really good, uh, what, Mason Smith up front, and then obviously Harold Perkins on the edge, which, to be fair, they're dropping in pass coverage for some odd reason half the time. But those two guys are still individually elite, even if the unit as a whole is not. Uh, and so they'll still have an opportunity for a negative play here and there with those two guys. And then you, you then say the other part of the passing game, where, well, you're still looking at you need – Peyton Thorne to uh, make correct decisions because I still think the accuracy is actually the best part of what Thorne does. However, if you don't read things correctly or in a timely man manner, the accuracy will not matter to you and it will not be effective. And then also, if you have wide receivers, which have been underwhelming to this point, except for in the slot, uh, and then to, with Fairweather a little bit, uh, then you're not going to have much of a window to deliver an accurate ball in either. So again, it, it feeds off itself. There's a lot. In other words, for you to pass for less than 100 yards this frequently, there are a multitude of things that are vastly wrong, not just a little wrong. There are a couple things that are very wrong about it. And that's why we talk about what the identity should be and how much are you going to just commit to the run game against uh, the rest of these opponents and just kind of say, screw it, we are going to be one-dimensional and, and that's the way it needs to be, period. 
you know, I think, again, the good news is Thorne did play better against Georgia, but the production's still not there, period. And yeah. and the, you get 12 games to produce, and if the production's not been there for nearly half the season, or at least in the in the Power 5 games, the production's not been there, at some point you've got to produce. Like, like period, it doesn't matter the, the optics of it at, at, some, at some point. Uh, and so – this is the chance. Like, if Auburn is not throwing at all successfully against LSU, it's not happening this year because even though LSU's got all these these great athletes and these this quality of player, like there's enough tape on them to know they're not a good defensive team, and that's not going to change. Like that, you could still like you still have time to get incrementally better. So sure, LSU can look slightly better than the horrendous stuff they put on tape for the first half of the year but they're not by the end of the year going to be like yeah that's a top 10 defense in the country no it's not even going to be close it's it's barely I don't even know I'd have to go through each one individually I don't think it's top 10 SEC defense and we only got 14 options for that so <laughs> uh, you know I, it, it, it is a struggling defense regardless of what the talent is I just mentioned the talent part of it because okay when you play even with somebody and you're looking for something to put you over the top in a positive way, well, that's where talent comes in. That's like the Auburn-Georgia game. You needed a difference maker on each side of the ball to change that game. Georgia had the difference maker. That's how they win. When you're looking at something that's really bad, is it really bad as a collective unit with no hope? Or is it really bad as a collective unit with a chance of a random great play? And I still see that out of LSU's defense because of the fact that, again, Perkins is is really good. They just don't use him right. And then Mason Smith up 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 the up the middle is very good and does impact a random play here just from being really damn good. And so my point is is that when you're facing an Auburn offense that's been really bad at this point in P5 competition, that one negative play is going to be very hard to overcome. You can't let that happen because again, if you have second and six and then Mason Smith blows up a run play, and you lose three, and it's third and nine. That's a that's not a situation Auburn can recover from the way other offenses recover from it. If Auburn has first and ten, and they decide we are going to do the play action pass, the secondary's not good. Let's give it a whirl. And Harold Perkins sacks you for a loss of six. That has destroyed that drive because it's in second and 16 and you can't get back on track very easily at all, even against a bad defense. So that's why it's still important for me to know how many negative plays does Auburn allow offensively? Because LSU's going to give up a lot of good plays for an offense. Even if Auburn's one-dimensional runs ball, Auburn will make good plays. What's that bad play look like? And that's kind of been my... That's my reign of terror right now on quarterbacks across the country. It's like, what does your bad play look like? Because that's people's problems with Milrow at Alabama. Like, Milrow makes a lot of quality plays, but his worst plays are a lot worse than all their other quarterbacks in years. And he'll throw these bad picks, and he takes these really deep sacks. And, like, like those are incredibly negative plays. So for Auburn, I do trust, actually, they'll make a lot of positive plays. But how often do you give up the negative play that completely ends your drive either on a on a second down that becomes a third and long or a first down that doesn't even give you much of a shot at, at, at then having the sequence after that. Yeah. Well, and my question as far as Auburn goes, can you make enough big plays? Yeah, granted, they you know you don't want the negative plays or whatever, but with an offense that you think is going to put up a lot of points, can you make enough of the big plays? Can you sustain the drives? This, that, and the other, but. 
you're gonna have to again. Have... Ultimately, no, I'm not saying that Auburn will score a lot of points. So mm-hmm. let me let me be clear about that. I th- I just think there will not be like oh look at that ugly three now. Like I think right. Auburn will have the, the ability to move the ball, but at any moment in a drive, that negative play would end the drive. Oh. So you have to guard against that because. I think they'll run the ball fine. If they're running for over 200 on Georgia, there's no one in this league that can't run for 200 yards, right. period. And LSU is certainly no uh, no exception to that because LSU's getting beaten every way. Florida State's running on them. Ole Miss was running on them. They were throwing on them, throwing on – I mean, everything's happening to Ole Miss – or, excuse right. me, LSU's defense. My just concern is, is that when you have a struggling offense, it may not show up on, on all these run plays. Auburn might get five to seven yards a lot, but then that one negative play that their talented guy – will make at some point what does that do to you can you recover from that because that's when i say auburn's going to have a difficult time against anybody no matter what they look like recovering on second and third longs period and and lsu's going to give up a lot of gashing plays because that's who they are and that's who they've been to this point they'll give it up against anybody but again all that's where auburn's ineptness so far comes in on how do you still turn a negative play and continue a drive because when you struggle to throw the ball, you can't make long yardage situations. Right. And if you have one TFL on a run play, you then get antsy about running the ball, or not maybe not run the ball the rest of the game, but you get antsy about, well, man, we couldn't recover from that that drive because the D tackle Mason Smith blew it up again. Well, well, the other concern that I have as far as the Auburn offense, yeah, I mean them making a play and putting you behind the sticks, as they say. Also, Auburn shooting themselves in the foot. And, and I mean that—that's the other—that's was the most penalized offensive line in the conference right now, or in the nation, or something like that. Like crazy amount of penalties, and it's that—it's that holding penalty. Yeah, you know, second down. You know, first play doesn't really work out that great, and second down, holding. Right now, you're back ten yards behind the six, and those—that's what concerns me more. Uh, yeah, I think Auburn can move the ball on LSU. Can you just not shoot yourself in the foot? Can can you? And, and yeah, I get it. They they will make a play here and there, and can you overcome that? But can you just not shoot your own self in the foot and and, and play a good solid brand of football on that on that side? And then you could find some success there. Uh, and I know def- so defensively for Auburn, looking at at LSU. So Daniels is going to make yards, make plays. Malik Neighbor is going to make yards, make plays. Running game with the running backs, that's stoppable. I, I, I feel like that is something that Auburn can at least um, make some hay in. And and that's all well and good, but what I'm worried about is the fact that they have not gotten a great pass rush. Jaden Daniels, because of his athleticism, heightens that sense of urgency even, even larger. Yep. And you think, oh, well, we'll just rush for, put a spy, it'll be fine. Daniel's probably faster than your spy. So you you can't rely on him just getting impatient and making a bad decision. He could still run even when you're trying to kind of prevent that. I, I just – I think they're going to almost have to, even with – Again, and I'm not trying to disrespect Auburn's defense because conversely, I think it's done a really good job so far, uh, save for one quarter there at the end of the Georgia game. Right. I, I I just think that with Daniels, it's one of those things in college football where great offense can beat great defense. I'm not calling Auburn's defense necessarily great, but you, it almost feels like your formula is going to have to be 
let's hold them to three in these situations and maybe LSU will do something stupid like LSU does every now and then so far this year. It, it is 100%. I think Auburn's run defense has been pretty good this year. It's been way better than I expected. I think that Eugene Asante has been a big part of that. I think Marcus Harris and Jason Jones have done a really good job of plugging up the inside uh, on Auburn's perspective. The thing that's going to kill you in this game is, like you said, Ryan, you don't have a pass rush. And Keldrick Falk is going to have to step up in this game. Uh, Mosiah Nasilakite out for the year at that defensive end spot. Keldrick Falk, true freshman. He's been really good, but he has not started for a reason. He's just not quite there yet. He's going to have to grow up in a hurry. Uh, and this is a good opportunity to do that. But I think the thing that's going to kill you is Jaden Daniels drops back. The defensive line can't get any pressure. He escapes and whatever happens happens you know and from there it's Jaden Daniels is just a really good athlete and he's a really good player and I think that that's going to be the thing that that breaks Auburn's back there's going to be yeah. a second down and 12 or a third down and more than eight where Jaden Daniels drops back drops back no one can get to him and he just takes off up the middle and gets the first down and that's going to be what ends up breaking Auburn's back in this game if this game is is close we really don't know what it's going to be I I could see LSU putting up 40 points, but I could also see Auburn's defense playing lights out and holding them down because, again, the secondary is so good. Some 2019 and, LSU. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, I think that I'm, I'm less worried with a pass rusher, with a defensive lineman sacking D Jalen Daniels than I am with maintaining rush lane, keep your integrity, and just don't let him escape. If he ha if he escapes from the pocket, make sure he has to go backwards to do it. Don't run by him. Don't give him anything up the middle to run into. Make him go backwards to escape the pocket because then you give your defense a lot more time to catch up to him. But if he can just come straight up the middle of the field, you're going to have a really long day. Well, it's, yeah, and that's my biggest concern is like that the front not being able to get a good rush because ideally when you have a dynamic quarterback like that, Ideally, you want to be able to get that pressure with the with your guys up front. And let's just say four up front. Get pressure up there. If he has to come into the second level, then there's guys there that can do it. But now if you're having to – if you can't get any sort of pressure with the four and you're having to bring linebackers in there, then you're vacating that space. And all it takes is just either one little gap or one missed tackle. And next thing you know, he's off and running. And now you've got your secondary having to come up and make the tackle instead of having guys there. So that's my concern is that the, if that front cannot get any sort of push or any pressure to make him make quick decisions, uh, it, it could be a long afternoon or, long, excuse me, a long night for Auburn since it is a night game in Death Valley. Absolutely it is. Was good news, though, today on the scheduling front if you are oh, yeah. eager for an Auburn night game at home at Jordan-Hare Stadium, the Auburn-Ole Miss game in two weekends will in fact be a night game under lights, 6 o'clock ESPN. So uh, Tigers will be in the same time slot here on ESPN the next two weekends, one on the road and one at home. We're going to take our final time out of the first hour. Back with more right after this. Time out. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com.
Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Tom Peavy, Brant Dontry with you here on this Monday edition of the program. About five or so minutes left here in the first hour. Just talking a little Auburn LSU after LSU's win against Missouri. Missouri was looking the part for a while. They had LSU on the ropes, but uh, Jane Daniels got a little banged up. I don't know. He, he'll, I think for the world he'll play Saturday, but we'll see if he gets mentioned at all by any local media there in Baton Rouge as, as being a little limited in practice this week or something. But he did get a little banged up. Nussmeyer came in for a sequence, didn't go great, not a shock. And then he, Daniels came back in. It went much better uh, for LSU <laughs> after that. Final four or five minutes left of this hour. Real quickly, guys, let's talk a little bit about uh, Alabama-Texas A&M after Alabama uh, down early there, I believe down 17-10 at half. Yep. Uh, and then comes out, uh, excuse me, Milrow. Here's the sequence of the game. I'm not even going to bury the lead. And that changed this game. Alabama's driving, then a negative play, then they throw an interception. So they get no- nothing on their first drive after, after four or five straight completions by Milrow. It was looking pretty good. Second play of the next drive, Max Johnson, interception. Mm-hmm. So it had been like second and 17. It was an adverse situation already for Alabama. Maybe he was in third down already. And then immediately they actually get a better situation because they get a fresh set at downs at the same place on the field they already were at. And then Alabama scores, ties the game, they score again. Uh, and then we get into kind of some Weird interesting t- decisions by Fisher at um, the end. And- well, he also had a blocked field goal return for a touchdown that yep. got called back for a – which I saw the replay of that and – as much as I don't like Alabama, I was like, I understand the guy should not have made the contact, but they called it like, you know, a blindside block. I mean, he just kind of yeah, kind of just hit the guy. He didn't need to hit him. It was stupid, but I don't know that that was necessarily penalty worthy, but that that got called back. But then, of course, they get the safety uh, for the uh, only points in the fourth quarter, right? Was it? I believe so. No, A&M got a field goal. They cut 26-20. You remember they lost 26-20 thought that field goal happened because because a&m remember this was another key sequence a&m had scored but the foot drug out of bounds so they backed it up to the three yard uh, line a&m had the field goal bama had the safety right but that's but that's what i'm saying that sequence where uh and i guess you weren't maybe you weren't watching at this point trying to watch as much as i could um again that was a long play I i think it was anaya smith Drags the toe out of bounds at the three, starting to extend for the goal line. They originally ruled touchdown, came back, was not a touchdown. A&M does not end up scoring. They lose a minute 10 on the clock, which got it down to in the twos, and then lost a timeout and still only had the field goal. So that sequence kind of killed them. If they if that is a touchdown, which it was not, it was the correct call to overturn it. But if it was a touchdown, is 26-24, three and a half minutes left, all the timeouts left. You have a you have more than one shot to get Bama off the field, but Bama achieves one first down. They end the game well on a play. What's very fortuitous because, of course, if you watch the replay of that, his knee was down before he possessed the ball. He then possessed the ball. The knee had come back up. He then reaches for it was a crazy play. So again, that's how close this thing got uh, and was. Uh, but ultimately, Bama wins twenty six twenty. I think we've all been on the same page. It's not that Bama is awesome. 
because we see the cracks, they had like nine pre-snap penalties. I thought it was like 11. No, they had like 14 penalties, but they had nine pre-snap penalties. Oh, I, I thought there was um, like, I literally thought it was like 11 fault start penalties. Yeah, no, it was, it was it, I believe it was nine, but the point remains a, a ton of penalties yeah. on the road with the turnover still win. And that also speaks to there's just nobody in the West that has enough ducks in a row to get this done this year. And now Alabama has a, a home slate, which okay, these teams are not horrible, but they're not great, and they're probably not, and they're not good enough. I don't think to go in to Tuscaloosa and win. And again, that's what we've been saying Tennessee, all along. Tennessee, maybe, maybe but maybe. Milton's going to have to be what who yeah. we think he could be. He's not been that yet. He threw two picks against South Carolina the other week. Didn't beat Florida on the road. Milton will have to play his best game. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm saying I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying like I don't see any clear and obvious. Yep, going to lose that one. Right. Uh, my my biggest takeaway from from that game was Alabama's defense. Just at second half of that game, they just stood up and just were impenetrable. A uh, and I, I don't. I'd have to go back and look. I don't. How many three and outs did A and M have in the second half of that game? It, it just seemed like they could not convert much of anything in the second half of that game. Uh, and, and then that was also A and M not able to take advantage of Alabama's mistakes. That was the other, we talked about the penalties. Uh, there was a time I was listening. I was leaving the Serps up heading home, listening to that game. And I swear, Bama had like three false start penalties in a row. Um, I mean, it, it, Bama's own uh, broadcasters were chuckling at how embarrassing it was. They were like, oh, my gosh, there's another false start penalty. He's like, what is going on right now? Yeah. Um, but AM couldn't take advantage of it. Alabama gave them every single opportunity with mistakes to do something, and their offense just could not make anything happen in the second half of that game. So uh, that's the thing. Yeah, Alabama's definitely got cracked. Their offense is it's it's there. Milrow has the ability to be a very dangerous guy. Um, they obviously have a couple of weapons, not as many as they've had. But, man, their defense is good. And uh, I'll say it again. I told you when they got beat by Texas. But you don't want to tell us. Oh, well. I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong, too. Oh, I want to be wrong. But, I, yeah, I was just like – Hey, like yeah, no, I understand. They're they're not going anywhere. Y'all, people are writing Nick Saban and Bama off way too soon right now. Uh, they, I was like, they they're gonna be something to deal with, and here we are. Yep, and uh, some were also saying that about uh, Georgia and Kentucky. Damn, I hate and, being right. <laughs> no, yeah. Anyway, it is uh, that's it out, is. out of time for hour number one. We'll have a few more thoughts again on. Uh, the SEC and on college football when we return in hour number two. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. 
It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. Tom Peavy and Brant Daughtry join me here on this Monday edition of the program. Fun first hour, and why was it fun? Because we were just talking football, and we're going to continue to talk football here in hour number two. And, of course, take your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. And, of course, uh, a lot still to do here in these last couple of hours, but Brant, the start hour number two, uh, did not have the opportunity to get to your quick uh, Alabama-Texas A&M thoughts there. Yeah, I, well, I was going to ask, what time did this game start? Oh, was this the, yeah. Was this the 2.39 was kickoff. Okay, okay. I, was, it, I, I don't know why. For some reason in my head, I don't remember anything that happened in this game. I was wondering if it went on at the same time as the Braves. And yeah, it, Braves it, started in yeah, the third Yeah, quarter. in the third quarter. Oh, okay, the, that's, yeah. that's yeah, that makes sense because that's – I, I did not watch the finish of this game. I think it is interesting. This feels like a very early Nick Saban team to me in that they're not going to score more than 30 most of the time, probably going to score somewhere in the mid-20s usually. But, uh, man, their defense is really spectacular, and their quarterback can just do it, you know, just enough. Uh, and, and right now it feels like it's not Jalen Milrow's job to win them games, it's to not lose. And it, it, that's something that Nick Saban has had a ton of in his career at Alabama, and he might just have another one. They've got a guy that can do some really cool things. They do what he's good at, and they score just enough to win. Well, but but again, oddly enough, is that they what, – what is different from those early teams is they don't run well. Like, like they yeah. genuinely – are a very pedestrian team to the point of they have they, they just flat up stop running in the middle of these games. They they stopped running against A and M, and they broke off one run there kind of late. But I think that they averaged around three yards a carry from their running backs, which again is not not what they're used to at all either. And of course, Milrow had negative rush yards because he's taking a lot of sacks. They're still not really doing design runs with him. But they're certainly trying to maximize some of his deep throws down the field because he still throws an excellent deep ball. And then from their point of view, I mean, certainly Jermaine Burton cooked Texas A&M. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's the best he's looked maybe in his entire collegiate career. There's always been kind of a lot of, uh, of hope and optimism there, but he was he was wound up against A&M. And so, you know, does that continue to that degree? I don't know. But they, they feel like they're inching towards Milrow improving just a little bit and, and putting him in better spots and again I, I just don't think the ceiling on on that's the same as it's been in, in a lot of these last years but they're making do with it and then again it helps a lot that their defense is really good and, and Kevin Steele is, is doing a better job than what Pete Golding 
uh, was doing over there. 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger 9 and join us on the orthopedic clinic phone line. We go there here to start hour number two. Matt from Tallahassee. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm tired. Oh, uh, you had a busy weekend? Well, I had a game Saturday. We won 16-12 to the coach pissing off. Oh, uh, okay. And I kind of cussed at him, but he really made me mad. All right, well, we just won't re- repeat any of those words today, then. Yeah. Hey, uh, do you guys think... Hi, Tom. Hey, what's up? Who's your girlfriend at? Uh, probably finishing up at work right now, if I had to guess. She has $650. I will tell her that. Inflation. Hey, have you guys heard from Sean? Uh, well, yeah, we heard from Sean on Friday. Uh, uh, he he called in and said we were all fired. Yeah, like, if he calls today or tomorrow, tell him that he's fired. You guys are rehired. Okay, we will do that. What's up, Brooks? Uh, yeah, Brooks just answered the phone a minute ago, but he's not actually in the in the studio on the show today. So, so is it you and Tom and Cam? Uh, it, it's me, Brant, and, and Tom. What's up, Brent? Hey, Matt. How you doing, man? I'm tired. I hear you. Hey, do you guys think we didn't score 40 points against LSU? No. Uh, I don't think well, Yeah, <laughs> I don't think Auburn's scoring 40 against P5 competition this uh, year. Well, hey, you know, like, uh, Texas A&M, I'm always beat Bama. Yes, they they did. And, and so, so, but, hey, uh... This question's for all three guys. And like I said, if my mom comes out, I didn't call you when I get home. Do you guys think we can probably still beat LSU, still beat Arkansas, still beat State, Ole Miss, and probably Bama? Some of those, yes. Yeah. Not certainly all of them. Uh, I think Arkansas, they absolutely can beat. Uh, that will be an interesting one by that point in the year. I um, like Auburn's yeah. chances a little better against Ole Miss being at a night game here in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Uh, Ole Miss is still going to be really, yeah. really tough to beat, but I like the fact that it's a night game because weird things happen in Jordan-Hare Stadium at night. You guys think we need big state, probably? Yes. Oh, yeah. Mississippi yes. State is definitely a winnable game. I think Alabama's a winnable game. Yeah, I, I think we're gonna slaughter New Mexico today. I know that. Yeah, well, that yes. Yeah, that. Yes. Right. We'll, we'll probably be like we'll probably score like sixty-five points against New Mexico State, probably. Yeah, it could be close. It could be close. So will we will this be favored against Old Miss and State? We will be favored against Mississippi State. I don't think we will be favored against Old Miss. Yeah, I think it'll be close, but yeah. I think Old Miss will be favored by a couple points. And also, it depends how Auburn plays at LSU this weekend. Hey, What's up? Do you think we'll be favored against uh, Arkansas? Arkansas is a weird one. I, I I don't know. Arkansas has been so bad this year, but Auburn has also not been great. Um, I, I really have no idea who's going to be favored. I expect Auburn to have a chance in that game. Probably should win, but uh, it, it'll depend on whether or not Arkansas is checked out or not. Well, what do you guys think about the offer that uh, Auburn uh, offered? I think he's a linebacker or a quarterback or something like that. You guys know what I'm talking about? Auburn's offering a lot of guys right now. We we don't we don't know the the specific kids. If you give us a name, we'll we'll try to look him up. But uh, we we don't know hey, which guy you're talking call, about. Speak all you guys when you get home, okay? All right, Matt. Uh, yeah, you can join us for another minute or two later. We'll see you later. All right. That is uh, Matt from Tallahassee for Auburn, uh, joining us on the orthopedic clinic phone line. Uh, yeah, and Auburn's been uh, reaching out and. 
continually recruiting a, a oh, lot yeah. of guys. They had a, a big weekend, the Georgia weekend, had a, a lot of 24 and 25 guys uh, on campus. And, because, And I can guarantee you they're going to have a load of players here for that Ole Miss game. Being a nighttime, they're going yeah. to want to show off that atmosphere that's going to be here. You know, they, well, and, and certainly with the home schedule working out to where three of the right. four SEC games at home are, are, are big games. I mean, they've got some great opportunities to, to, to have these big – um, you know, big weekends, big recruiting visits, and that and that sort of thing. So, uh, it helps obviously well to play play good football, but also I think that we, as we talked about back week of that, just the way they played Georgia, it got it was enough to give the recruits the oh yeah, you are a couple plays away, and right. I I I am worth a couple plays. So, I think it still checked that box. Uh, speaking of Georgia, that's the the top twenty five and SEC matchup we've neglected so far. Uh, Georgia dominant over Kentucky. I I know we had some calls last week suggesting that Kentucky would give them a run. I was not as receptive to those. Uh, I did not. That, however, I did not think it'd be a forty point game. Uh, yeah. To be fair, I thought it'd be like a twenty, like a thirty seven to seventeen or thirty four to fourteen type of game. Uh, but dominant for the dogs and uh, concerning, <laughs> concerning <laughs> to be quite frank. Yeah, that was a weird one. I I was kind of like you, Ryan. I didn't expect it to be a blowout. I did expect Georgia to handle their business. I was thinking a two possession game, maybe seventeen points, something like that. Um, but I was certainly not expecting Georgia to hang fifty one on anybody, much less a Kentucky team that's played pretty well this year. Um, I don't know if <laughs> I. <laughs> Don't ever really expect a Mike Bobo offense to hang 50 yeah, on anybody, no, that's frankly. Yeah. But just an incredible game from them, another one that I didn't watch a ton of. But, I mean, you don't have to watch much of it to understand what happened in that one. Georgia's just significantly better. And for the first time this year, they played like it for all four quarters. Yeah. And that was just that was a, a beatdown, for yeah, sure. That, that, one, that, one just, that one got away from Kentucky real, real quick. Uh, Carson Beck was incredible in that game, 28 of 35, 389 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, he completed his first 12 passes, I think. Was it first 11 or first 12? Yeah, it was double digits. Um, and, and they finally um, they had one batted down that ended the streak. But, I mean, he was up to – I think it was 12 consecutive to start the game out. Um, and, and then, of course, Brock Bowers does Brock Bowers thing, seven catches, 132 yards. And, you know, he actually dropped one, too. I was watching yeah. it happen. It was the part of the game I could still stomach. And uh, he and, and Beck delivered a really nice ball to the left uh, left edge of the end zone, and he actually dropped one. And it was like, oh, human he after is all. Human. Yeah, he still had, like you said, buck 30 and yeah. a touchdown, but uh, that, that could have had one more on the board. Yeah. Uh, they did not, Georgia did not have a running back go over 100 yards. Their leading rusher had 54, but, uh, I mean, you don't have to have Five a guy. six yards of carry still, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, six of carry. Um, but you're not having to do that when you got a quarterback completing his first 12 and throwing for nearly 400 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, Kentucky just they, – they, they, they let it get away from them uh, – from the get-go and they and just you know once you just get behind that bad that early it's just really difficult to try to dig out of it and Devin Leary and that offense they just they had no answer to it I mean obviously we know Georgia's defense is really good their question was on the offense and their slow start and you know do they have the weapons that they normally have well you know they showed that they can get it done uh yeah Kentucky just it's like they ran into an absolute buzzsaw that they just had no answer for whatsoever. 
Uh, when you look at the rest of the year for Georgia, Georgia's really going to be tested in Nashville this weekend and just try not to go out and party too much between yeah. their beatdown of Andy. Uh, Georgia-Florida game. Uh, no. Yeah. No. Uh, Florida will will attend. And then Georgia will host Missouri. You know, Missouri's been very respectable this year, but going to Athens is a whole different animal. Yeah. It's those two at the end still. At, uh, hosting Ole Miss and at Tennessee – that's right. still the two right there, and 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 two open offenses, uh, a, a great environment in Knoxville. We'll see what Tennessee is at that point in the year because that's the eleventh game of the year. We'll see if that game even matters towards the East. Uh, but then Ole Miss the week before uh, it certainly can score a lot of points. I don't know how they're necessarily going to stop Georgia if Beck is playing like that. But uh, that's the thing. I I uh, I mean that one being in Athens against Ole Miss. I. I mean, Ole Miss is – they're pretty good. I just don't think they're to that level. Now, if there's one that Georgia could lose, it's at Tennessee. I mean, I think that's that's definitely, a, a, you know, going to be a real big task for Georgia to do. Uh, but, I mean, the rest of their schedule, I mean, they've, they've taken care of the business they need to take care of. I mean, everybody talked about their schedule. It's pretty cupcake from the get-go. It's not Georgia's fault. I mean, everybody else is just – not to east that is point. weaker than west yeah sure um, lost your non-con game and yeah but yeah. you know at tennessee is the one that kind of makes you want it was going to be oklahoma right it was yeah well that would look different yeah. <laughs> that would have been very fascinating and you know what might still happen yeah might just happen in the playoff instead we're gonna take our first time out here of the four o'clock hour we come back as promised we're gonna get to that hugh freeze press conference audio at least a little bit of that let you listen on the preview for auburn and lsu coming up inside of tiger stadium this weekend you're listening to the monday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9 Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger excited to get back to work um, after a uh, open week and uh, excited to see our kids this afternoon and uh, get the week started off right preparing to go to Baton Rouge to play uh, a very difficult opponent I think their uh, offense is the it's the most explosive that I've seen in a long long time I, I didn't uh, I wasn't uh, coaching when uh, they had their run with Joe Burrow and them but uh, this 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 quarterback, if if he's not in the Heisman discussion, there's a there's a problem. But he's playing at an incredibly high level with dynamic receivers, and there's not a weakness on that offense. And um, it's impressive to watch. And so uh, it's going to be a, a a great challenge for our kids in a great college environment. And uh, I'm excited as heck about it. And I know our kids will be. Hopefully, I hadn't seen them yet, but. Um, and hopefully we can get healthy and um, and go to Baton Rouge and and uh, find a way to compete against uh, a really 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 good football program. 
Yeah, Coach, you're talking about health. Uh, you mentioned the other day you, you hoped that Damari would be back. Talk about uh, the guys that are banged up and, and who looks like they could be back. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, you know, of course, Keys and, uh, and Keontae and are, are, are still out for the foreseeable future. Masai, unfortunately, is done for the year, which is a blow to us defensively for sure. Uh, Jalen Simpson, I think, will go. Um, he, he's day to day. He said he's feeling better each day, so I'm, ex I'm hopeful and expecting that he will go. Doubtful on Damari, um, and Malcolm Johnson is a, is a day to day guy too. So, of the guys we have remaining, that's kind of um, and uh, Vars questionable also, but uh, he keep he's having an issue with his elbow that uh, just can't get straight. So. Um, that's where we are. It's next man up, and uh, we got to get some of these younger kids to play more consistently. We worked on that hard last year, last week in the open week, and they got a ton of reps. And because um, we're going to need them before this season's over, with the the remaining seven uh, games we have. Coach, with the uh, with the uh, bye week so close to midseason, what kind of things did you guys assess offensively? And did you focus more on just executing what you've done better, or are you looking at a philosophy change on offense? Uh, no, no, no philosophy change, um, other than maybe com making sure we're running the right RPOs with the runs and, and doing more of that. Um, well, you do all the self-scouting to, to find out what your tendencies are and um, to make sure you're, you have those posted when you're game planning this week. If, if all we've done when we've motioned the tight end across the ball is X, Y, Z, then you probably don't need to do X, Y, Z this week. And so we, uh, we did all that self-scouting and then obviously um, trying to make sure our identity, uh, particularly in the passing game, matches our personnel. And whatever we feel strongly about in that, then let's do it over and over and over and over and over again until we are really, really confident and really, really good at that. Um, so that was that was pretty much the focus offensively and uh, defensively. It was so. If you go to the Georgia game, we really hadn't talked since after the Georgia game, I guess. But if you go to that Georgia game, there literally are ten plays that made a difference in that game, or we easily could have found ourselves on the uh, on the other side of that outcome. And in those 10 plays, um, I think six of them are on us coaches. And um, four of them, the, the, our kids should have, should have, obviously there's more than 10 that didn't go exactly right, but you can take 10 plays in critical situations where if we don't get a protection set right, that that's our fault. And um, that's not easy for me to say, nor to take, nor to live with, but we've got to get that fixed. And um, but then there's 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 things that our kids could have done differently too. Now forget, you know, we could we had two balls in our hands inside the five yard line on on two passes. You know, if we can just make one of those plays, you know, and. Uh, so I'm not counting those as the 10. I'm talking about 10 fundamental things that we could have done differently offensively or defensively in a critical situation. And if we execute that properly, they make a direct impact on that game because they were all in the critical downs and critical moments. 
And um, that's encouraging that we played a team of that caliber close and we want to build upon the good things because there were a lot of good things. But um, the margin of error for us winning and losing right now is so small against teams that probably have a, a better roster in some spots um, that we can't afford those. And we have to look at everybody, coaches, players, why are we not getting that executed? And if we can't do it personnel-wise, then get it out of the plan. If we can do it, but we're not doing it right, then we got to coach it better. And so that's what the whole week was about, is, is how do we not, how do I not go to bed after a, a game feeling that way? Hey, you question about Peyton specifically. I know you were much happier with the way he played against Georgia. Was that like an aha moment for him? Do you think he can kind of build forward from there? Uh, we're, we're, we're trying hard to build upon it. I thought he made some really good throws. And look, when you're playing in this league, I don't – maybe LSU, um, but even them, the, the DBs are in position – you don't, you don't find very many where you're just running wide open. Um, you'll have a few of those in blown coverages from time to time, but there's going to be some contested catches. And there were, I think he was, well, they had nine incompletions, and I literally think six of them could have gone either way. And um, I'm certainly not saying that they were just total drops or anything like that, but there are chances for us to make plays that, again, put us in position to get points or convert the chains and keep, us, keep our defense off the field. And we're going to have to start making our share of those. And so the balls, though, were in the right spot. I mean, they were, some of them were really good throws. And so I do think there's something that you can build upon there. I don't, never mind. I don't belabor the point. I'm trying to get over that. I'm trying to put it in the past and you keep bringing it up. But I mean, I wish you could see the film. You, but you, you got Rivaldo running wide open for a touchdown if we just set the protection right. Heck no, it wasn't on Peyton. That one was not on Peyton. That one's on us. And that's what's hard to take. Peyton would have got it right if we had him, uh, we had him in the right toolbox. We got to give him his tools. And that better get fixed. You, uh, you mentioned young guys. Any of those young guys at wide receiver that you think are ready to maybe get more of a shot, maybe help out more as you get in, come out of a bye week? They all have a shot. But you got to produce. And... I know that uh, one of the things we do during the open week is we, we, we call all of our parents. I think that's a, a great practice to do. And, and um, you know, and you, have to, you, you have to be prepared. You're, you're, hearing the, you're hearing the good and the bad. But I think that's healthy. And I think that's good. And they know we care. And, you know, but, but any of those discussions that, that turn that way is usually around, obviously, playing time. And... Um, you know, it's just part of the – you just keep competing. But at some point, we have to have production at whatever position it is. And um, I'm excited to see our kids compete this week and, and see some guys hopefully make some plays. Hugh, you were talking about self-scouting and evaluating during the off week. What was the thing you probably learned the most about your team through that process in, in the off week? 
Well, I'm probably not going to go into that. You know, I mean, there were some definite tendencies for sure in, in five weeks of, of playing that, you know, certain motions or certain sets, you know, where the ball is being run in those sets. Uh, is it he heavy to the tight end, away from the tight end? Those type things you're always looking at. And then defensively, you know, are we are we too high of a tendency on you know certain coverages on third down in particular where where somebody can have a great plan for you? That's uh, that's that's probably the most thing you look at defensively because every every week your defensive plan is so different based on what you're seeing. But third downs, um, we usually are creatures of habit, and our third down is short offensively. Had to have attention put to it. Oh, with Messiah going down, how important is Keldrick going to be over the next Vital. Season? He and uh, he and Walker are, are are going to have to. I mean, just you know, share more snaps. And you know, I I think when you again looking back, the you you see, I mean, our kids are playing so hard, um, and it, it makes me proud of them. But you know, I mean, Marcus Harris, he just played his guts out, but he's having to play too many snaps. And you look at dang Georgia over there, and every dang time we sub, there's another six of them that come in. And it, it shows in the fourth quarter. Um, and it truly hurt us when Jalen Simpson went out in the fourth quarter. I mean, to that point, I believe I'm right in saying Bowers had two or three catches. And, you know, when Jalen went out and we lost our best bracket guy, um, it hurt us. And so that's where we've got to continue to create depth through the current young kids we have and obviously through recruiting. But um, we just don't – Marcus and, and, and some of those guys are having to play just too many snaps. And losing Messiah certainly doesn't help with that because now we've got to um, – but, you know, we need one of these young kids is going to have to give us some snaps, you know. Um, Bobby, D. Reed, some of those guys, somebody's got to give us some, some help in there. You mentioned calling all the, uh, the players' parents over the bye week. Just kind of roughly midway through this first season in a new job, kind of what feedback did you get from that And as you are, you know, at this new program? Yeah, let me make sure I clarify. It would be impossible for me to personally call all of them. So the position coach and that staff – their assignment was call everyone and then get me the ones I need to touch base with. Uh, and so uh, the feedback was uh, they love our Monday meetings. They love the teaching series that I do. They love uh, the energy that they feel, that their kids feel. They feel like they're cared for. Um, so I, I thought all of that was extremely positive. And obviously they – you know, want to see their kid get their share of playing time. And, and I think that's a process in this world. And it's one that I think we need to keep sight of in the changing of times, even though everybody would like to have theirs right now. And um, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way typically for most. And, and that's a lesson for life that I think will prepare them more for life than if they had it their way every single time and it was easy. That Life's not easy. And neither is earning your time to play at this level of football. It's not easy and it shouldn't be easy. It takes 
you embracing the grind and going to work and, and, and enjoying the process of becoming. And I sure hope we can do a good job of, of getting our kids to believe that so that they're not always in this world looking for greener pastures and an easier way. And I just, I think that sets you up for failure in life. Speaking of, of uh, Jalen Simpson, could you just talk about what he has meant to your defense, and, uh, and and when he went out, there was obviously some wide open passes to uh, to Bowers. Uh, kind of how him being out out of the game. Yeah, like I mean, that. he and Keontae, you know, were were the leaders of getting everybody on the right page back there, and and obviously not only on the right page, but those two can can cover and can. And, and have played really at a high level. And obviously losing Keontae was tough, and then him going out in the fourth quarter was very, very difficult for us also. And um, he has been um, an energy leader, fun for me to be around on the sideline, always cutting up with me in practice. Um, he, he's been a joy to coach, truthfully, and, um, and has played really well. Hey, Coach, with the idea of getting players to take what they do in practice, their efficiency and productivity, what's the key to building that confidence to get it on the field? Obviously, I know you've been working on that, but what's been your philosophy on making sure that that transition, when you see it happen day in and day out in practice? Uh, positive reinforcement is good. Um, also, their ability to handle the truth uh, from a coach without it becoming, in their mind, something that's personal. Um, hear what I say, maybe not how I say it sometimes. Um, I don't rant and rave, but I'm pretty, I can get pretty passionate in, in my direction on things sometimes. And so can other coaches, I'm sure, but just hear the message. And, um, but at the same time, that message should also be heard if things were done correctly. And that's a balancing act and not the easiest thing for coaches, probably not the easiest things for parents. Uh, we're, we're really good at don't, 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 why, 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 and, and not, man, way to go. You did great. You made me proud. And so I think that's a balancing act there. But nothing builds confidence as much as having success on a Saturday. Hey, Coach, uh, with you headed to Baton Rouge this Saturday, I know you've coached there a handful of times when you're at Ole Miss. What makes Tiger Stadium unique, and, and what makes it such a difficult atmosphere to play in? Uh, great place to play. Um, SEC environment. Obviously, their fans are into it. Saturday night there. Um, I love I love hearing calling Baton Rouge from Garth Brooks before the game. I think that's a neat experience, and I try to stay out there to hear that. And I like hearing the announcer say, um, 15 minutes, the sun will set in the western sky, and it will be Saturday night in Baton Rouge. And man, that's we get to go represent Auburn in that environment, and um, it's a tough place to play. But so is Jordan Hare, and so are many others. And and that, that's again why you come to this. And um, a quick story: uh, Johnny Vault, who I have great respect for, um, before he passed. Um, said to me, he was laying in his bed, and I went to visit him, and he, he says, uh, Coach, just so you know, you have never truly been the head coach at the University of Mississippi 
until you beat them Bayou Bengals in Baton Rouge and stood on the bleachers and let their fans know it. <laughs> and so I, I know what it meant to uh, to a lot of coaches to go to go play there. And he might have said it a little differently than I just said it right then, but <laughs> uh, but it was uh, that this is a special place to play for for many coaches that have experienced it there. Coach, following up on the environment in Death Valley, uh, you're no stranger to playing there. Are you guys doing anything special in practice to prepare for the noise that the players are going to encounter and getting calls in in such a raucous environment? Yeah, I heard this was a new thing, but it's actually not. Um, we, we, uh, we've, we've, uh, we've, uh, yeah, we will have it as loud as we can get it on the practice field, and it'll be playing. Hold that tiger, whatever that that the fight song is, and um, we will uh, have a couple of different plans for cadence, uh, just in case. Um, I do remember having a fist fight with them down there um, when I was at Ole Miss, and. Um, it was a very, 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 it was a Saturday night game and obviously very loud and we were backed up into the student section in a critical drive and we had three false starts. Um, it was so uh, loud. And so uh, we, uh, we will have a couple of different plans if, if that's the case. You talked about identity. You guys were able to run the football against Georgia and, and, and Running backs had great a good day against Texas A&M. How, how much of an identity build has that been for this team, especially the last three or four games? Yeah, I feel like we can do that fairly well. Um, I don't know what our where we stand and all that, but we've got it. We're pretty efficient. But um, I just I do think you have to be balanced to win big games, and that has been the the the, the challenge for us to this point. But. Um, there's no question I feel like running the football helps. We've got to shorten this game now. This is the last two opponents that have played them. Ole Miss decided to um, – we're going to outscore them. And Missouri's that was their philosophy also. Um, I didn't talk to Lane, but I talked to Eli. Um, but you can – I mean, it was obvious that Ole Miss felt like they could do that, and Ole Miss did. Um, Missouri was very close to doing that also, but I think their makeup is a little different offensively, and I'm not sure that that's the the plan for us. We'll have to see. I want to ask you about LSU's defense. They've been in a lot of shootouts this year, but obviously got really good talent on that side of the ball with Perkins and, and other guys. What stands out to you about that that unit as you guys get ready for them? Yeah, I mean, 0, 18, and 4 are freakish players. I mean, you know, five-star talents and – um, they may not be as deep as, as a normal LSU defense has been in the past, but they've still got tremendous athletes over there. You know, and for whatever reason, they've been searching a little too the last couple of weeks, but that makes it a little harder on us, truthfully, because it's been two totally different plans against similar offenses. You know, Ole Miss's and Missouri's offenses, Ole Miss may go faster and, and do a few more things, but they're still in the in similar sets and and it's two totally different plans in those two games and so that's a bit of a guessing game for us on that. Um, but I mean they've got athletes over there for sure. That was the majority of the Hugh Freeze press conference from 
earlier today, of course, previewing LSU. Got a nice uh, jab in there that was funny about uh, social media kind of overreacting to uh, that viral instance of Deion Sanders playing the yeah. uh, the music at the practice and then some Colorado people saying, oh, this is why he's, he's innovative because he's the <laughs> first one to think of something like this and – so it was not a shot at Dion or at Colorado, just at the people paying attention right. to Dion in Colorado. Uh, but uh, but good stuff there from Hugh Freeze, and uh, again a big one coming up at LSU, and also a humorous story there about uh, his time at Ole Miss and uh, Ole Miss valuing the ability to try to beat LSU there in Baton Rouge. Let's go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone lines. We got a couple of calls lined up at three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally or toll free one triple eight nine Tiger nine. Matt from Tallahassee. Matt rejoins us. Matt, again, we only got a few more minutes here, but uh, again, good to be talking to you again. Yeah, it's nice to talk to you guys again. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, we just like, uh, I just want to know, do you guys think we might can like score? Like, I saw like Auburn like the double digit underdog against LSU. Yeah, but, I'll, yeah. He's yeah. scoring probably like maybe like 33 or, or uh, what do you got? Tom and Brent, do you guys think we scored that many points, or what? What are your score? You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, I mean, I, I, LSU's defense is really not good, so Auburn has the opportunities to do something, but we just haven't really seen them do it. Uh, I, I think that thirty is going to be tough for Auburn to get to, just because of the offense is just not very good. Uh, the biggest thing is you hope is that the defense can hold LSU to under 30 uh, and, you know, maybe give yourself a chance. But, uh, I mean, as bad as LSU's defense is, Auburn's offense is pretty bar- pretty darn bad, too. So, hey, uh, Brent, hey, do you probably see Gardner or Brown probably playing? Uh, yeah, Brent, uh, Brent stepped out there for just a, a second. I, I think that uh, I'll answer it for him, though. Hank Brown will not be playing for no. Auburn University in any significant situation this year unless something catastrophic has happened. Uh, and then as far as, far as Holden Gurner, uh, you know, I still think that's in play at some point this year. It's at least possible, uh, but that will not be the game plan going into LSU. Well, hey, the person I was talking about Auburn offered uh, – he committed, just committed from I think for Florida State, and Auburn offered him, and I think he took it. But he was going to probably go for another visit. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, the Florida State commit KJ Bolden, I think the the five star safety, and uh, still taking visits. Yeah, I, I think that. Uh, Auburn still has a chance at him, but I, I still think that Florida State's going to be tough to beat, considering what they're doing on the field this year and, and him already being committed there. So, hey, so uh, Tom, hey, are we, you say we're favored probably against Arkansas, right? Uh, no, I don't know that we're going to be favored. It's at Arkansas. Um, I Depends on what happens yeah, between here yeah, and there. Yeah, it depends on what happens between here and there. Uh, you know, right now – I think that you would have to put Arkansas as a very slight favorite just because they're at home. And I think that may be kind of how it goes, unless Auburn just shows massive improvements before they get there. Uh, I mean, if it's the status quo of what we've seen the remainder the, uh, yeah. through, the, through the season, then I think Arkansas would be favored by maybe just a little bit. Well, do you, do you probably see us like a big favor against New Mexico State? Oh, yeah. Do you think you'll be a favorite against Bama? We will. We will absolutely not be favored against Alabama. Um, 
uh, Auburn will be a huge favorite over New Mexico State. Uh, that'll be a twenty-something point okay. uh, favorite. Uh, that that's just that one's not even a question. Uh, okay. Alabama will definitely. Again, we'll see what happens when when we get to that. There's still a lot of football left to be played, but you but you have to think Bama is going to be favored uh, at Jordan here by, you know, I'd say right now like seven to ten. Yeah. Well, hey Ryan, hey, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Tom. I'm sorry, but hey Ryan, yeah, you said that Brown will not play in any game, so you're saying probably he won't play when Auburn played New Mexico State. I said that he would not play in any game uh, of significance unless something catastrophic happened. So uh, I still I would not think that he'd play against New Mexico State either. I think there will have to have been an injury at some point uh, for him to play in that game. But yes, no, I think it's it's highly yeah. unlikely. You guys probably see Gardner playing like we play against LSU or Arkansas and New Mexico State or Alabama or Ole Miss. I, or Miss- I again, I don't, I don't think Holden Gurner is going to play unless something catastrophic happens. Uh, I, I think it is, is Peyton Thorne is going to be the starter until he, until it's just a, you can't start him anymore if it just gets that bad. And then I think Robbie Ashford is next in line. Uh, now I think you could definitely see Holden Gurner against New Mexico State because I think that's one of those. Auburn could potentially have a huge lead and maybe see him in the fourth quarter. But as far as like starting or getting any significant playing time, it's going to have to either be injuries or just catastrophic failure from Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford for uh, for Holden Gurner to get the job. Last nice question, and I know you guys have a card. I know most of our players are at, are out, and uh, I think one player is out for the season. I think that's number thirty-six, the one made in the section. But if he is healthy and say Auburn goes to a bowl and plays against Tulane or UCF, would any of our players that are injured probably be on the bowl game or not? Yeah, the the guy you're referring to is Masai Nasilikiete, the defensive lineman. Uh, 36 Jalen Simpson is is injured, but but not out for the year. Uh, I don't think Masai Nasilikiete will return. Period. Even in the bowl game, the Keontae Scott and Austin Keys that could be a different situation, but but not Nasilikiete. Well, okay. Well, hey, if you guys uh, if you guys have ever talked to Sean, tell me to fire and you guys rehired. And Tom, see if you can get your girlfriend on the show the following Monday and um, stuff. So I have like. My time's up. I got a double header next Saturday in Dallas, Georgia, so wish me good luck. Uh, I'm not playing in the first game. I'm playing in the second game. And um, I'll talk to you guys next Monday. And um, if you guys can get JJ back on, I'll be happy. And uh, if you guys can try to get my man, man, uh, Bo Jackson and Devon Lee on there and stuff like that, I'll be happy. And um, Tom, like I said, if you get your girlfriend on the show, if she, if she has any trivia questions, maybe she can pick one out and maybe you can ask me next Monday or something like that. We'll, we'll we'll see what you do. We'll see what we do. But I'm actually currently texting her. I said that you were asking about her, and she just said to say hello. So Michelle uh, says hello to you. Well, tell her be tell her behave and tell her be on the show <laughs> next next after we go off. Text her back and tell her to be on the show next Monday. Well, I'll see what, see what I we can, can do. do. We pre- War Eagle, Matt, we appreciate the phone call, and good luck with your game this weekend. That is Matt from Tallahassee, Matt for Auburn. Joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, we do have one more uh, time for one more phone call before the end of hour number two. James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? 
I'm good at War Eagle. War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I was just, uh, you know, uh, watching all the other games on uh, Auburn's bye week. I was seeing Alabama and Texas and uh, Texas A&M, and uh, I, I was just, you know, rooting for Texas A&M to make a huge comeback, but they really did not make a huge comeback against Alabama. So I think Alabama, I was talking to a lot of Alabama fans when I was at the fair uh, last weekend. And I was talking to a lot of Alabama fans, and I was saying uh, to some people that are Alabama fans, I was just asking, do you all have, like, a slim chance of making it to a college bowl game? And uh, one fan told me yes, another fan told me no, and then another fan said it's not Alabama's year because they just had, like, one that one loss, and – I was looking at, uh, you know, the the uh, the college, uh, you know, playoff drive to the playoffs. And when they were talking about Alabama, they were just saying that Alabama don't have a good chance at winning the uh, the national championship this year against Georgia or Florida. If if that would be the case for Alabama. Yeah, Florida certainly will not be winning the national championship either this year. I, I, I still think Alabama's got a chance. They still have a path. They're not playing well enough at this moment to feel like they would be a national champion. But uh, as of now, if they get to 11-1, they get in the SEC title game, uh, who knows what could happen at that point. But, uh, yeah, they're not eliminated yet. It's just certainly not looking like any of the Alabama teams that have won titles. Yes, that's well, because I know that Georgia, they've won two titles if I'm saying that correctly as well. Yes, Georgia's won back-to-back. So if Georgia if Georgia doesn't, this weekend, if Georgia does not lose in, in this weekend's game, I think this will be a huge, huge chance and a huge opportunity for Georgia to actually get a third title under Kirby Smart as well because I think that that team, Georgia, has a, a – caliber winning team and they've won uh championships over their uh course of their school as well you can uh most people can uh do the research on georgia and and you'll see how many times georgia has won so many titles under their name as well yeah of course uh the the best success has come recently for georgia but they do have one in the past uh past as well but but yeah certainly this run of it is is their their best run of it uh, but what else is on your mind today, James? Well, I know we're playing uh, LSU this weekend, so I just wanted to know who is going to be our starter in the quarterback's position. Will it be Peyton Thornton, or will it be Robbie Ashford, or uh, or Garner, just to name those three guys that are really good as well. So I'm, I'm just going to see uh, what... Uh, Hugh, what Hugh Freeze is actually going to do as well. Yeah, it, it will be Peyton Thorne uh, this uh, this weekend, uh, and <clears throat> we'll see how much Ashford will play. I think that package will definitely come back up because it was pretty successful against Georgia, but Peyton Thorne uh, will, will definitely start the game. Yes, because I think at the fourth quarter of the game, I'll probably see this scoring game would be like 42-20 to 20 in the fourth quarter of the game as well. That would be quite high scoring. I do think that uh, 
I think that's a lot of points for Auburn to try to muster up there. I, I think that they can get to 30. I'm not sure that they can go uh, beyond that, especially on the road. Even 30 is, an, is, is something they have not done yet in Power mm-hmm. 5 competition. So uh, they'll, they'll need to play some good defense and they'll need to take advantage of their opportunities. Yes, as well, because if I was if I was a quarterback for Auburn and I was like the second string behind Peyton Thornton, I'll just probably say, you know what, Peyton, let me take it because this is, you know, I know it's your 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 starter, so let me show you how it's done, and I'll be out there. I'm just saying hypothetically. I'm just saying like if I was out there as an Auburn quarterback, I'll just say, you know what, sit back and watch watch a really watch a really good show because I couldn't actually throw balls you know I could throw a football like 60 yards a short pass and maybe do a little bit of um, NFL plays as well just to put it in there as well to to make Auburn win a couple of games as well yeah um, and uh, certainly if you were throwing it 60 yards down the field and making big plays that would certainly help what what else is on your mind well, I'm actually going to be seeing how the Atlanta Braves are going to be doing tonight because they do play at home against the Philadelphia Phillies. So I have the Phillies uh, winning on the road in uh, Truist Park, the Atlanta Braves. So I'm not quite sure how the Braves are going to hold out tonight. And I think this one will be like a um, – I think this game tonight will be like a high-scoring game as well. So I don't know – who's on the injured list for the Philadelphia Phillies tonight, but I will probably um, watch some of the uh, highlights on MLB Network before the game actually starts so I can see who who they're going to start and who they're going to sit out for uh, tonight's game as well. Yeah, both, uh, both teams are p- pitching their ace starting pitchers, so I'd be a little surprised if it was high scoring, but... You never know in these one-off situations, but it's going to be Max Fried versus Zach Wheeler. Well, James, we're almost out of time for this hour, so what else is on your mind here real quickly? Well, I'm actually going to see how the uh, New York Liberty is going to do tomorrow because I know they lost uh, yesterday, and um, I'm just going to see how they're going to do on Tuesday as well. So I'm just going to keep my hopes up for them as well and see if they're going to win the uh, WNBA uh, playoffs finals as well. So yeah. it's going to it's going to be a long road, but I think Sabrina Unescu, I think she's going to have this team on her back as well. She has ice in her veins. I, I believe in her. All right. And uh, they did lose game one, but still three out of five series. We'll see how it goes. Well, James, we certainly appreciate the call today. And if you want to have I want to get some uh, trivia to us for tomorrow. We'll be happy to do that. All right, sounds good. I'll send that to y'all um, tomorrow as well. All right, War Eagle, James. All right, War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, and that will take us to the end of hour number two. Stay tuned, though. Coming up in hour number three, you're going to transition into a little bit of Atlanta Braves talk, some MLB playoffs. Of course, the Braves about 10 or 12 minutes away from first pitch at Truist Park in Atlanta for game two against the Philadelphia Phillies. So we'll be breaking that one down as it happens and also reviewing game one and the changes made here for game two. Stay tuned. More Sports Call after this. Timeout. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. 
Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon beginning to feel a lot like fall. And uh, Thank goodness. Uh, yeah, a lot of people well, excited about that. And uh, supposed to warm back up, though. Only for a day. Yeah. Literally one day. I think we'll be all right. Uh, it's going to be low 70s the rest of the week or mid-70s at least. So, uh, And also that's why I'm going to Tampa this weekend so I can go back in the 80s <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, 334-887-3401 locally, toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9 to join us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We'll have a lot of talk about the Braves here in hour number three because their game is getting going momentarily. But for now, we go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Well, it's Corn Dog Week. Yes, sir, it LSU is. Week. And I can smell it all the way... From down south here in Earl, uh, Alabama, guys, that's how strong it is. Yeah, you're mu- you're much closer to them than we are. Yeah. Okay. So it's you, Tom, and uh, Cam. Brant. 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 Yep. Okay. Well, hopefully Cam is getting some sleep. I need to get some sleep after experiencing. Had it not been for my son, who got one of his degrees from Southern Cal, I would not watch a game. I said I'll watch it. Now I think it'd be over by maybe about midnight. Wrong. Did you watch that game, guys? Sure did. Loved it. Well, yeah, uh, that was an atrocious uh, performance by a team that was played by 21 points. Three overtimes? Are you serious? At home? Yeah. I mean, no, again, USC's defense is, is no secret. Yet. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they, obviously they had more offensive struggles than they've been having. I mean, obviously they've been really good in general, but even Arizona. And, and to be fair, Arizona kind of did that to Washington the week before. I think it was only 31-24 Washington over – Arizona. So Arizona's been feisty, and uh, you, it was no different last Saturday. I like that word, feisty. Why can't Hoffman ever get those kind of quarterbacks? The guy's a freshman quarterback, is he not? For Arizona, yes. Yes. For Fiti, what was his name? Oh, I, I don't recall the, the pronunciation, but but yeah. I mean, he was just slinging it. And in the first overtime, I think, he just, for the very first snap, throws a touchdown pass. I yep. said, wow. Yeah, and, and he looked really good for sure. Again, I would caution, though, that USC's going to make a lot of people look good uh, defensively. So uh, I, I get it, but uh, we'll, time will tell with him. He might end up being awesome, uh, but, but USC's not the one to test that theory on. Okay, so, you know, ESPN, I don't know if they still have that category. You used to do a category called It's Your Job. Or Do Your Job. Do your or Do job, Your Job. Something? Do Your Job. Uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe something like that, yeah. Yeah, something like that. So that award... Uh, goes to guess who, guys? Uh, the Atlanta Braves. No, they 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 were they could have been it, but no. Uh, uh, somebody Miami? else passed them. Miami football. Thank you very much. Yep. Coach Cristobal, are you serious? I saw. I didn't see the game. I saw the video clip in, uh, the last two minutes, and I said, "Who, who has never coached a game in their lives? Me uh, would have ever thought to not kneel the damn ball." When the other team has no timeouts left, and all you got to do is 34 seconds 
uh, the game is over, right, guys? Yeah, yep. indefensible, and and uh, it was later revealed that they have uh, apparently not needed all this year. Even up four touchdowns on teams late, they still run the ball even in the last moment, and uh, I, that's just not something he believes in, and he's just wrong. I mean, just to be quite frank, he's just wrong. That was that was oh, really bad. Guys, I, I don't go to their websites or anything, but do you know after the press conference? Uh, did any reporters ask him what the hell were you thinking? Uh, yeah, no. He he was asked about it and he explained it and and he was mutter. I couldn't even hear the audio that well. I I turn. I don't know. I, well, it, I, their offensive coordinator yeah. came out today and said that it, he was the one that made the decision and he was the one taking responsibility for it. That's all good and fine and dandy, but if you're Mario Cristobal, you gotta you've got to step in yeah. and say, whoa, 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 stop. Stop running the ball, take a knee, but the offensive coordinator came out and was like, that was me, I made the call, and I'll take it. Yeah, that, that's okay. still, yeah. yeah. Okay, say you don't kneel the ball, okay, but don't hand off the damn ball. Just let the quarterback keep it and go run around maybe, right? No, that I, it, it wouldn't even get, there's no even, like, if, ands, or buts. It should have need, period. Yeah. It didn't matter what else, you, any other run. Like it, it's just a hundred percent. You should have done that, and there's no other. Oh well, this still would have been better. No, there's no better or what? You do that, or it's a bad idea. And what did they get paid again? Uh, Chris Paul's probably in the five six million range per year. I would I would guess way too much money for that kind of da kind of decision. Certainly in and that I, moment. And Tom, you said that the uh, coordinator uh, took responsibility, but wait a minute, did he give any explanation as to why in the world he did that? I mean, he didn't. He just said that he was the one that made the call and said it was a mistake and that he's owning up to it and that he's taking the responsibility for it. Okay, well, that was a good one. All right. Well, uh, we'll move on to that uh, ugliness, to what in the world has happened to the Atlanta Braves? Well, nothing yet. No. I mean, how do you have some of your best hitters striking out like mad Okay, uh, and then you've got people on. Was it was it in first and second? And who hits into a damn double play for the Atlanta Braves? Yeah, I mean Philly. Philly's made some plays, and the Braves they they couldn't string. And one of those double plays was a hell of a play by Trey Turner. Play, was very yeah. unfortunate. I think it's the eighth inning. Yeah, hey, listen, uh, the, the, yeah. the Phillies are good. This is not like the Braves lost that game to a terrible team. The Phillies are really damn good. It was one to nothing, guys. Hold on, guys. Hold on. It was one nothing. The bases were loaded for the Braves. Yeah, yeah, we understand. I mean, that was a bad game. game. I, I mean, no doubt choke? about it. How do you choke like that? Because they had a, because they had a very bad offensive game. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the that's the that's the answer to your question. And it's unacceptable. And yep. they can't have another one like that. Yep. And unfortunately, it it sometimes happens at the wrong moment. Wow. Well, I know, Tom. You say stuff like that happens, but come on, man. You know. You had it done to you last year. What are you doing again this time to let this happen to you again? Mm-hmm. It was one another with the bases loaded. Yeah, we'll That's see. We'll they, see how the whole series goes again. I mean, yeah, it's one game, but uh, but certainly it was as poorly as they could play offensively. Where there's there's no doubting that. And 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 this guy I was reading this. Uh, forgot who what his name was. Sportswire said uh, for that four uh, things that, that that went bad for the for the Braves. He says nine out of ten times those things. Will not happen, right? Which is why they play 162, but then you're limited to three out of five in this instance. It's not a big sample size. Unbelievable! And then the the, 
the Phillies kept changing uh, pitchers, and it didn't seem to matter. Right. I mean, they're throwing their best guys. I mean, they're not not throwing scrubs in those instances. They got two and three ERAs out of the bullpen, but well, they yeah. have they exhausted all their uh, pitching depth yet? No. I mean, oh, no, they no, got their ace starting tonight. Yeah. No, <laughs> not, not when you got a day off. They're all going to be available again today. And is Freed starting tonight? He is. He is. He's got one out in the top of the first. Game's underway. Okay. But then again, uh, Strider left a dang home run to get hit off of him. Oh, oh uh, Strider yeah. yeah. pitched listen, very Strider, well. Strider pitched his tail yeah. off. If you pitch like that every single game, you're going to lead the National League in ERA. And the Phillies uh, just maybe. got a double. They did? <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. So there are two <laughs> baseball teams that I will – just be disgusted with if they uh, go to the championship game. You know who they are. Philly is one of them. Astros. And the cheaters, the Astros. Yeah. But apparently, uh, the teams I pull for are snake bit because I had a horrible weekend in terms of teams I was pulling for. Uh, Missouri should have won the game. They lost. A&M probably should have won the game. They lost. Uh, should I continue? Yeah, the Braves are now down one nothing yep. in the first already. But uh, yeah, no, uh, uh, again, yeah, weeks like that happen in sports fandoms for sure. And again, just going uh, some of these calls uh, uh, should have been a no call. What was this catcher's interference? Uh, the, yeah, that was a bad call. Murphy Mitt was out there, and I think they thought that the bat hit made contact with the mitt on the replay. It didn't really like it did. Well, the replay showed nothing. The announcer were even saying. How could they possibly – I thought it had to be convincing evidence. has to be indisputable to overturn the call. If there is no video evidence that proves or well, disproves anything, then – Was it not indisputable? I kept seeing the replay, and the replay never showed a ball touching the glove. It's the bat that would have touched the glove. And you're, you're right, it doesn't, it doesn't move a ton, but it's, you know, it's – yeah, don't I mean, don't leave I, it in the hands of the officials. Yes, it's a bad call. Yes, it probably should not have been catcher's it, well, interference. It, it but but the, Bra- the Braves, the Braves, yeah. the Braves simply just had to get more offense than they did last yeah. night. And they did. You're you're not going to win a single game in which you score zero runs. That's the bigger issue. Okay, all right. We're gonna move on to hopefully uh, um, lighter uh, information. How about if you were this person? This comes from Bleacher Report. I didn't even know they had these kind of bets. Uh, I've done parlays, and those are sucker bets. Only one once. But apparently, somebody, this comes from, from again from Bleacher Report, uh, did a props parlay bet. You bet $25, guys, to win how much money? No idea. Yeah. 2000 and something dollars, and he won it. Here's where his props. Anytime to score, these are the props. Anytime score, Jalen Waddle did it. Okay. Desmond Ritter, is that his name? Yep, yep. He scored a TD, okay? Uh, Jamar Chase. Yep. He had him. To, he scored. And finally, Dallas Goddard. Is, is that G-O-E-D-R-T? Goddard. Goddard. Goddard? Okay. Yep. He picked all those four. They all came in. Yeah, nice. A couple of those are pretty pretty good bets. So, I mean, some of those guys are really good. But he just bet $25 and sure. what over 2000 Yeah, that's what okay. Parlay Magic right. can do. Going on. This was a record-setting uh, event here, Chicago Marathon. And I found out how many uh, the marathon is there. It's 23 point something miles. Kelvin Keptum broke the men's world record all time 
for a marathon. You see that, guys? I did not. I did. I yeah, saw it. 43-year-old crossed the finish line in two hours and 35 seconds to set the new world marathon record. That's awesome. The previous record was two hours and one minute and nine seconds, and he did it. So that was uh, remarkable that he did that. Speaking of remarkable, how about Miss Simone Biles? She continues to just uh, just uh, be be a uh, standing. Uh, the uh, World Olympics in gymnastics ended Sunday. She won five medals, guys. Four of them were gold. Yep. yep. How about now, that? Now the most decorated uh, female gymnast of all time, maybe. Of all time. Yeah. Yep. Of all time. Yeah, so that certainly, is, certainly has an argument for greatest athlete ever. Yeah. Speaking of greatest athletes ever, Mr. Ryan LaVoy. Uh, certainly about, I'm not included in that conversation. <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> no. no. But you like this man a little bit. Mr. Tom Brady. Sure. Yeah. Now, I want to get you your comments on this after I read this. Uh, his final game-worn Buccaneer jersey is going to be auctioned off at somewhere between $1.5 million to $2.5 million by Southbees. Uh, and it's going to be at uh, one of the casinos. Let me see what the name of the casino is. Um, it's in Vegas. Sure. It's, uh, it's all right. Yeah, here it is. Um, yeah, but the Las Vegas Grand Prix uh, will be presenting uh, Southbees' um uh, auctioning of, of this uh, jersey, and it's going to have the original dirt and everything on it. But here's my question, you guys: This is a to me a a, 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 a sort of like a you know to me a a, a jersey that uh, I would I, if it were me, if I were Tom Brady, and I have kids, that wouldn't want to, to to auction off unless it's for a charitable you know contribution that the money goes to. Otherwise, I'm saying. My kids will get to have this jersey and look upon it after I'm dead and gone uh, to, to know that this was the last jersey worn by me as a football player in the NFL. Instead of being auctioned off, guys, tell me where my thinking is flawed. We do not care what Tom Brady wants to do with his last game-worn jersey. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, if, I, if he if he wants to auction it off, then he can auction it well, off. He wants to wipe his rear end with it. I'm just thinking. Wait a minute, you got kids here. Well, I mean, uh, you could, but Steve, you can, He could have any of his jerseys that he gives to his his uh, kids. I mean, you but know, this he is could, the last jersey. There's sure, no one but, like it. This is the final jersey. Yeah, again, Steve, it's it's up to each individual. I mean, it, it's it's whatever they want to do. Hey, Steve, it. bid on it if it means that much to you. No, it doesn't mean anything to me. But I would think it mean enough to his to him and to his kids. You say, hey, guys. You know, you're going to keep this jersey. Uh, and after I'm dead, you know, if you want to do anything with it, that's up to you. But he doesn't need, surely he doesn't need the damn money. No, and yeah, it's it's not about that. Hey, Steve, I can, make you, I can make you feel even better. The Phillies now have the bases loaded with two outs. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, Steve, we got to move on with the show, so we're going to have to let you go. Okay, well, with that said, guys, I can take a hit. Uh, then it's time to say thank you for your time. I appreciate you allowing me to make some uh, degree of sense, uh, maybe none. But uh, with that said, you guys have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, we'll uh, talk about this again tomorrow. Until then, War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, Steve, appreciate you? that phone call. That is retired AM Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to get to our next time out of the show. Back with more sports call right after this.
attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at Sports Call AU. Like us on Facebook at Sports Call AU. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday edition of the program. Time to talk some Braves, and then we'll squeeze in a quick uh, best and worst of the weekend. Braves are underway here in Game 2. Again, if you're looking for that game, you can listen to it on 1230 WAUD. Uh, East Alabama's home for the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Proud to be partners with the Braves Radio Network. And uh, obviously, guys, already digging a small hole, but a hole nonetheless here in Game 2, down one nothing. And we still need to go back a little bit to Game 1. And I have my thoughts. They're strong, so I'm going to go ahead and open the question up to you guys. Uh, what did you make of the lineup change going into Game 1? How relevant was it to the result? Uh, and then what do you think of going back to the standard lineup here for game two? My my only thing with that is why? Uh, I mean, why, why are you screwing with something that was perfectly fine? I mean, maybe there's some reasons to that. But it's like, man, I mean, I, it just seems like something that you don't need to screw with. And, and they did. I don't know that it was necessarily relevant to what happened because – Nobody could hit whether whoever was in whatever place. Nobody was able to hit the ball yesterday with any sort of consistency. So it don't matter. I mean, I I don't I don't believe the lineup change affected anything like that. But my question, I don't know. It's kind of a superstitious thing. It's like why? It's like why are you messing with something that really doesn't need to be messed with? And, and that's really it. I mean, but simply put, it don't matter where you're at in the lineup. You still got to hit the ball. And the Braves did not do that. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same camp. I understand what the thought process was. You're going up against a lefty. You want to get, uh, you want to get Ozzy in that fourth spot. I think was the biggest thing because I mean we've established it. Right-handed Ozzy Albies is Ozzy Albies is a Hall of Fame baseball player. But uh, it, it, like Tom said, it just works so well. What you were doing, you were you were a team that pretty much trotted out the same eleven guys. Uh, every time, uh, nine guys, pardon me. You trotted out the same nine guys for pretty much every game that you've played so far this season, and you had the most wins in all of Major League Baseball. It's, I understand the thought process. I don't necessarily agree with it. And like I said at the top of the show, I think if Brian Snicker could go back and do it over, I think he would change it back to the original lineup. And I, I don't know that I entirely blame the loss on that, but certainly scoring zero runs is uh, means that something went very wrong. Yeah, so you you laid out the line of thinking for it, and so I won't regurgitate it. Um, I, however, much more uh, condemning of it. Um, you laid out the reason, but I just don't think it sends the right message and mentality to let the other team dictate this series when you are the 100-win team that yeah. beat that team on their field to win this division and you, you had the best record in baseball, and you are changing something that worked for you for four months because of them. That, to me, is a mentality issue. 
And I get it's a short series, and I get that lineups will and do and will and, and absolutely change throughout the postseason. But to not, and they've gone back to it tonight, but the damage might already be done because you've already rattled the course of this series by losing at home in game one and not scoring for the first time since May. And so to do that and not even give a look at the lineup that made the hay for you this year that was the historical lineup, the best lineup in the history of your franchise, and you changed it out of the gate, to me it's not about bullpen matchups in the eighth inning in the very first game of the series. It's about setting a tone, and you set a different tone than what you've set all year long and to me, it's not exactly – you can't blame every single thing in the lineup because people got to hit the right times. But to me, you sent the wrong message already from the very get-go of the series. Right. And it, the, to me, the problem with it is I, I think tomorrow we will have a better idea of it. If the Braves win tonight, which right now they are, they are not, but if the Braves do end up winning this game – then we'll go, okay, yeah, definitely should have gone with the original lineup in game one. But if they end up losing tonight and it's another poor offensive output, then all of a sudden things just get a little more weird. And you're going, well, what in the world happened to the Atlanta Braves? All right, let's go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Russell from Auburn. Haven't heard from Russell in a while. Good to have him on right now. Russell, how are you this afternoon? Well, Ryan still got the uh, the old voiceover there for me too. Nice. <laughs> yes, sir. Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, man. I, I just I think that the problem is, and I've read a lot of people's takes on this, but I really think the problem is this extra wild card. And I understand why baseball wants to do it. They want to involve more teams. It's all about money and TV, but it's killing. It killed the Dodgers and the Braves last year. Yes, it did. You've got a layoff of longer than the All-Star break. And even when you look at what the Braves did coming out of the All-Star break, they lost a series at home to Chicago, who is a terrible team. So when you give a team that plays every single day just about a week off of baseball, it hurts that team. So it's almost like the incentive is not to win 100 games in a year. The incentive is to do what the Phillies are doing. Just play 15 games over 500 all year, get in the wild card, beat the crap out of a terrible team that doesn't belong to be. Doesn't it feel like the Marlins, the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, does it feel like any of those teams were worthy of being in the playoffs with what, how they were playing at the end of the year? Yeah, certainly. I, I yeah. mean, you know, you're just putting teams in the playoffs that aren't going to win the World Series they really have no business being in the playoffs after a, a okay, mediocre, regular season. I mean, if the Cubs had snuck in, it was like, oh, congratulations, you're about to get destroyed. So, you know, I just I feel like this, this, this is not the setup that baseball, like if I'm a Braves fan, which I am obviously, or a Dodgers fan, look at what the, the Orioles are getting destroyed right now because of the break. You know, yeah. Texas went in and destroyed whoever it was they played. I don't know. Does Tampa it matter? Bay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tampa's a good team. But even if Tampa wins. had won that, I would have thought Tampa would have the advantage over the Orioles because they got to play two games or three games or however many games it is. 
it showed its head last year, and it's showing its head again where you take these really good regular season teams that deserve better than laying off for five or six days, having to run simulated. Like, that. that's a bunch of trash. You know, like, I just – this is what it's come to, though. It's not it, – it, you're right. They should be able to score more. And they had chances. They had the bases loaded. They had a couple men on a couple different times. They just didn't come up with a big hit. And so that's on them. So it's not all the – like, you can't just lay it all on that excuse. But it's it's not just the Braves. I mean, right. you look at what's going on to the best teams in baseball. When they don't play for a week, it affects them, and it's very obvious. Y'all have a good one, War Eagle. War Eagle, Russell, appreciate that phone call. Yeah, no, I, I, I no, the break I hope, is a problem. So I, I went back through this because right. I wanted this. I, I did not want to look at this from only a Braves lens, and I wanted to be thorough enough with it. So this format started with 2021. Okay, 2020 we had eight teams in. It was a weird COVID year. Okay, they didn't do the format like this. They just put eight in aside. So 2021, here's what happened: high seed Tampa, one seed lost to Boston. Two seed Houston did beat Chicago. One seed NL San Francisco lost to the Dodgers. Two seed Milwaukee lost to the Braves. 2022, one seed Houston beat Seattle. Two seed Yanks beat the beat uh, Cleveland. One seed Dodgers lost to San Diego. Two seed Braves lost to Philly. In other words, we this is the third year of this. We've completed two years of series. Coming into this year, the higher seeded team is three and five. Two of those three are the Houston Astros. Apparently, are, are cooking on a different level. Although they lost last night. This, if the series stay the same, if Game One results dictate the entire NLDS or the the DS series, we will once again have a situation where the higher seed goes one and three. Yep. So that would take. Take the total, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm very passionate. Uh, take the total to four and eight yeah. over a three year span. That's starting to get to be a big enough sample with enough teams and enough situations to tell you there is something awry with that because there's not eight situations where the other team is a better team than the team they're playing. It's like, this is not true. Right. And, and especially when we're talking division. Series because th- this has been happening too. Again, notice notice the the similarities here. Tampa lost to Boston. That is a division, yeah. same division situation. San Francisco lost to the Dodgers. That is the same division. Uh, this or last year, Atlanta lost to Philly. Same Los division. Angeles lost to San Diego. Right now, Atlanta is losing to Philly. L.A. is losing to Arizona. And so, like, we don't do a hundred sixty two. And crown a division champ and crown them by 10 or 15 games to then say, well, the other team's better. Like, that's the yeah. danger with baseball of having such long seasons to prove these points and then having such short, fleeting moments. It makes it great. I mean, that's apparently inherently what we do with all postseasons, right? And people talk about this with the college football playoff. You're letting potential situations where the best team doesn't always win. That's that's not what we're saying. I can live with the best team not winning in the postseason. The Braves were not the best team in baseball in 2021 when they won it. They were much better last year. They didn't advance around. All that's fine unless you have a competitive disadvantage, which is what this seems to be. It seems to be a competitive disadvantage to sit – Three, four, well, we're not three, five, six days before you play no. a postseason game. Baseball is a sport of rhythm. That's why we never have more than one day off. And as Russell said, it's more days off than now the than the All Star break. Yeah. So anyway, I 
he led me into the second part of the passion. <laughs> the first part of the passion was the lineup, but the second part is the over overarching theme of I agree with Russell, not just because of the Braves. I mean, this is happening to the entire league, and interestingly enough, it's happening most often when these teams are getting together to play the same teams in their own division that they already beat in season long yeah. series earlier in the year. And now and now you get this and they just they don't look like the same team. They they look like the lesser team. And and in a rhythm aspect and a just your warmed up and ready to go aspect, you are the lesser team because you know, the Phillies have already played a series. They're they're fresh. They're uh, I say fresh. They're fresh in a in a baseball sense of they've got the momentum going. They they've been playing. They're good and warmed up. And you know the Braves. Have they've been, won two games that mattered, and Atlanta's right. not played a and game. The Braves that's really played. And, and, and so and it, yeah, I don't know how the rest of this is going to you know pan out. But obviously the Braves get shut out uh, for the first time at home since last year. And for the first time overall since back in May, so the they get shut out. You start this game out. Max Fried throws thirty pitches in the first inning for the first time since like twenty twenty one. Thirty pitches in the first inning uh, gives up a run, four hits. Fortunately, got out of a bases loaded uh, with two outs. Got out of it, but then the Braves come to bat and promptly the first three batters strike out, and, and so it's it, it just feels like the. The Braves just don't feel like the same team. Nope. It, it, they just don't. And because of sample size, you have to start thinking, well, I wonder if it's the break. No, the sample size shows that it is the break. They, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. That break has an effect on people. Again, I don't know how this series is going to go, but if it goes the way that your gut feels like it's going because of yesterday and then the way this game has started out, yeah, I, I that's something that's going to have to be looked at. I, I mean, there's no way that they can't just sit there and go, hey, this is fine. There's nothing to see here. No, there's absolutely something to see there. You have to look at that and adjust it because that's it's really not fair. I, I Granted, you still have to play the games. But I mean, that's just that's not fair to make a team sit for that long before they play another game. That There's nothing fair about that at all. Yeah, I, I you guys have outlined pretty much my feelings on it. I I was kind of iffy on it. I don't want to blame losing on things that are not on the team that lost. That, that's kind of my mentality. But not between the lines, right? But very clearly, there is a pattern here. It's not just affecting the team that I cheer for. It's affecting other really good teams. Yeah. Um, to the point that you guys have already mentioned. So I'll, I'll ask this as kind of like a counterpoint. What do you guys think the solution is? Because I, I don't know. Because here's the thing. Ryan's smiling and nodding. I think he has a solution. Go back I, to the one game. I will, I will say, please do not go back to the one-game wild card. <laughs> there is absolutely no way you can keep doing that. I mean, to, to Ryan's point, you play a 162-game season, and now your wild card game is decided by a single game yeah, in which who like knows what will happen. I hate the one-game wild card. Please come up with a different solution. But clearly what they're doing right now is not working. Here's the solution. Add another playoff team. It, that is that is the solution that will probably happen, and then you'll yeah. just go to – well, you'll need to add two. Oh, oh, you'll yeah. need to have eight to, to have everyone play instead of just one by. Here's the solution. Won't happen. Should happen. But I'm under no – I'm not a sheep. I, I'm under <laughs> no illusion this will happen. Don't worry. Should go back to four teams a league. No. It should start. It should go back to four teams a league, and you you could still have your three of five. You have your three division winners. You have your top wild card. 
that's honestly the format that it should return to if you're trying to maintain the competitive balance, but it won't happen. Again, I'm under no illusion because you have more teams invested for longer. Like that is a you more, generally you have more good games thing. to air. You have right, more to right. you have more product, right. the, the, and and you have more teams in the wild card race. You have more fan bases that feel like they're in it. You've achieved parity, which uh, which is what leagues kind of seek. You, you look at the NBA. The NBA. The NBA. Even though they are a league of dynasties, they've had a dynasty almost every single decade. Adam Silver does not want that. He's made that clear publicly, and with what they've done with the collective bargaining agreement, they don't want that. And leagues don't want that. They want all their fan bases engaged as long as possible. They don't like tanking. And some of this is fair. Like so it's very on the business sense, it's very fair. But on the competitive situation, the the way baseball is, because of the timing, because of the rhythm sport that it is, it's just very dangerous to have days off. It is not it is not like football where I think about everyone can agree they, in general, like the buy. Now, there's different methods right. of handling the buy, uh, what you do with the last regular season game and all that sort of thing. But in general, because of how beat up you get, it is a beneficial thing to get a rest and to get a week where you do not have to put the body on the line right. and let it recover. Like sure. that, is a, that is a pretty agreeable thing. Baseball's not like that. You don't get to be like, oh, yeah, now my shoulder feels better after hitting 162 games. Or now I feel like my hamstring won't blow out when I round first. Like, like that's not – you don't feel that way in baseball. Yes, you have some injuries, but these pitching injuries are usually pretty catastrophic. It's usually you're out for the year or you're not. Like you, or you deal with it three months or you don't. Right. Uh, and then hitting injuries, sure, you get a few hamstrings here and there. But it, you're just – you're really not at risk on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis because of the physicality of the sport. The injuries in baseball are not usually physically related. No. Therefore, it does not help you to get a physical rest, is what I'm saying. Right. Well, no. I no, now feel like it, some sort of Twitter doctor. No, well, no. <laughs> but it's just one of the – baseball is just that kind of a different thing. I mean, it, it is so much about just kind of the rhythm – and, and 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 the flow and things like that. Now, yeah, it does not. Yeah, you don't want to have a, you don't want to have an, a lengthy bye or a bye week or anything like that because that yes, it it's more flow. It's more of kind of in that rhythm, more of the flow. Um, you know, your this sounds really weird, but it's like even as a hitter, it's like your eyes and your brain are so adjusted to what they're supposed to do facing a pitcher and when you take that long period off you kind of lose a little bit of some of that focus that that hand-eye coordination focus which is why the Braves have been playing that kind of those like um, scrimmage games right. against each other but it's still just not the same no you're familiar with your own guys you're familiar, right yeah. exactly but there, but there's that focus that that you know you don't want to take too much time off and especially if you're if a, a team that's been hitting like the Braves and they've they're so locked in uh, I mean hitting a baseball is is hard enough as it is it's it's one of the hardest things to do in all of sports is to swing a piece of wood and hit a damn near 100 mile an hour P yep. that is coming at you it's one of the hardest things to do in all of sports the last thing you want to do is have a long break from that to where you kind of lose that brain and eye focus and things so there's that and then, of course, pitching. Now, granted, these starting pitchers have layoffs because you don't pitch every day. So maybe it doesn't affect them as much, but it, there's still 
I think no, I think that's the reason too. I don't think it affects them as much. Right. That is more physical on the arm. You can gain more benefits from resting, and that's why the pitching overwhelms the hitting. Right. And why it's usually oh, it's not like you come out and make five errors. Right. You come out, and you don't hit, and and that's usually what happens. L. A. Might have given up a million runs the other night. They only scored two. It's right. not like they had an offensive juggernaut, and they have a great offense. They've got two MVP. MVP excuse me, two MVP candidates just like the Braves. It's not as deep, obviously, but they do have a couple great hitters. It's the same dynamic. We've only got a couple minutes left in the show. Real quick, a best and worst. Now time for the best. Woohoo! And worst. No! 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 Of the weekend. I'm going to be 100% forthcoming. I felt more preachy the last half hour. It's because I've been standing up. That's what's been going on. <laughs> I've just been into it. I'm also nervous about He's- the Braves. About three minutes left in the show in about 60 seconds each. A quick best and worst. Uh, best of the weekend was the weather. It was beautiful. Loved it. Thank gosh fall is finally starting to get here. Uh, worst, uh, worst. I got to go. I'm not going to steal yours. I'm going to go. I'm gonna, I, I have two. Go ahead and well, steal the, the one we've already talked about. Nah, I'll let you do it. I, I, my worst is going to be the Braves dropping game one. I mean, you can't start a series off like that. We've just beaten that horse to death. I'm not going to go any more in it. So best is... Beautiful weather. Worst is Braves dropping game one and getting shut out and just looking terrible. My best of the weekend is going to be the opportunity to call Auburn soccer, especially that game that they played, beating the number six team in the country. Incredible goals scored by Anna Haddock and Sidney Thibodeau. My worst of the weekend is going to be the fact that Miami had an opportunity to win the game and chose not to kneel. They fumbled. Georgia Tech throws the winning touchdown. My other worst is going to be the fact that Iowa State played a football game this year, this weekend in which they wore flesh-colored pants, and if you looked at them on TV, it looked like they were playing with no pants <laughs> out there <laughs> straight up that. Winnie the Pooing it. I, I and had, didn't they have a bunch of dinosaurs come out on their field? They did, but that part was really cool. Yeah, that that was something. Um, I'll echo that worst because it should be America's worst of not taking the <laughs> knee was, at the end yeah. of the game. Uh, you know that 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 we, we do a lot of things when we analyze sometimes where it's like, well, do we actually a hundred percent understand the reasoning, or we go deep dive on what play we would have called and that sort of thing, and everything that goes into it. That's something that anyone that's ever watched baseball or excuse me football at any time of anywhere knows. If there are less than forty seconds to play on third down, you can take your knee. You can, it's called victory formation and for a reason because it's victorious you've Best won play in sports great it's awesome favorite formation take your dub and so that's the worst of the weekend for just coaches everywhere and and miami plays carolina next weekend and please don't get mad just be sad and go ahead and take another <laughs> out my best of the weekend is also college football related related don't talk about them much obviously but really proud of uab this weekend if this was some sort of uh, caller logic from Retire War Dam Steve. I will say that uh, what I'm about to say would make sense because UAB on the same South Florida team that gave up 17 Alabama scored 56 <laughs> at home this week. So obviously UAB's offense three times better than Alabama. No, I kid, of course. Uh, but the Blazers were uh, were awesome. Got their first uh, AAC win in the new conference for Trent Dilfer and Birmingham. It's the most energy this show has ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, very excited that the, the Blazers got it done. And uh, a quick nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Again, real quickly, baseball, watch that. It's the playoffs. Be nervous. Braves, Phillies right now on TBS. A little bit later on TBS is going to be the Dodgers and Diamondbacks game two. And then Monday night football tonight in the National Football League. It's on ESPN. It's on ABC. It's on almost every ESPN type of thing. Packers, Raiders in Las Vegas, a mid-bowl 
Enjoy that one. The Carlson kickers. Yes, it, it's the yes. Carlson Bowl. That's Carlson not mid. Bowl. They're good kickers. Yes. There you go. Enjoy, hopefully, eight field goals aside. And that's Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. And that will do it for the show this afternoon. Grant, thank you for being here, sir. I know you got some time off of school later this week. You deserve it. You're working hard. Appreciate you for being here. We'll see you next week. Thank you for having me. And Tom Peavy, thank you for being here this afternoon. We will see your beautiful place again tomorrow. I'll be here. Chop on. And that will do it for the show today. Uh, We wish everyone out there a great Monday night. We appreciate everyone for tuning in and calling in. For Tom Peavy and Brian Daughtry, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Go Braves, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.